defensive pair, Barry, has given this line some headaches trying to get pucks through. Oh, we got a breakaway here. Here comes Miller. Will he make it 3 nothing? Yes! One more piece of business to be done in the five-year anniversary of the 2013 Yale National Championship Hockey documentary. Just as I woke up on April 13th, 2013, and felt like there was one more piece of business to be done that day. Uh, We've had a great series so far. I'm so grateful to Kenny Agostino and Jesse Root for getting us started in part one, kicking this thing off as only they could do. Kenny dropped the uh, the WNHL line that has fouled us throughout the series. And thank you to Anthony Day and Josh Balch for being a part of Part 2. We also introduced Chip Malafronte from the New Haven Register in Part 2. In Part 3, we had Andrew Miller and Mitch Wittick with a little bit more of Chip And today we finish strong, real strong. Senior goalie played the game of his life on his 24th birthday. Jeff Malcolm will be on the show. With Jeff breaking down the game, of course, will be his teammate, Gus Young Jr. Uh, Then we'll take a break. And uh, after those guys, we have Keith Elaine, the head coach of the Yale Bulldogs, for 40 minutes talking about his national championship team. And then I'm going to finish this strong with one last thing. I'm so excited about this show that I don't want to go on any more than that. Uh, So you got the agenda. We got the guys. We got Keith Lane, and we're going to finish with one last thing. So let's quickly take a break, and we'll be right back with Jeff Malcolm and Gus Young. All right, our next guest, where a senior from Alberta and a junior from Massachusetts, a goalie, a defenseman, and two stars of the national championship game, a warm sportscaster's welcome to Jeff Malcolm and Gus Young. Thanks so much for doing this, boys. What is up, Gus Young? How are you doing, buddy? I'm doing well. How are you? Really good, really good. So you're out in Florida. Right now, how's the weather in Florida? What are you doing in Florida? It's pretty nice. We got about uh, 85 and sunny today. It's been that way for the past about two, three weeks. And Jeff Malcolm, uh, welcome to you as well. You're in uh, Calgary, Alberta? Uh, Just south, back home in Lethbridge. It's not quite 85 and sunny here. No. (laughs) Waiting for spring. Waiting for spring. Well, that's how it is in Buffalo, too. We had it. We had one of those, you know, spring teases for two days, and now it's back to the shits. But uh, it's good to have you guys. Uh, we're in an exciting point of the story. 
Jeff, you are probably just finishing your third sandwich uh, in your crease since the last time you got a shot in the Lowell game. Uh, they did not get a shot for the last, I think, nine-ish minutes of the third period and no shots in the overtime. So you're back there waiting for something to happen. And Gus, where exactly are you uh, when Carson throws the puck to the middle uh, to spring Andrew uh, for the eventual overtime winner against Lowell? I was actually just, we were in our zone for a little bit. I think it was a neutral zone turnover. And I was actually skating off the ice. And then when he scored, I was about one foot into the bench. And I remember skate that just sprinting down there right after. So you kind of had your back to the play then. Yeah, I was like, I was skating off, and like, obviously, as you get closer to the bench, you get a little lazier. And as I was skating off, I looked down, saw that Miller had beat the defenseman, and was fortunate enough to put it home. What do you remember about it, Jeff? From your from your view? Yeah, those are those are tough games to be in as a goaltender, right? No, no shots, no action, especially at that stage. So, um, but seeing Andrew go up the the center of the ice there and, and put her put her, uh, I guess, back forehand, backhand. Um, I just immediately sprinted down the ice and tried to get into the pile just because that's such a relief at that point, right? Do you get do you get to a point as those minutes add on that you almost start to worry about the next shot in a way? Does it start to get in your head? You know, I mean, yeah, I think, yeah, go ahead. I think that's kind of human nature, right? Yeah. But, um, I mean, the preparation that, that um, Josh had me doing all year, um, I felt like I was in a good spot. Um, obviously, I wanted that the second goal back. Um, I don't think that was a goal that should have went in in the national tournament. But um, from then on out, you know, you just got to, I don't know, as cliche as it sounds, you just got to make sure you're ready for that next shot. Obviously, it didn't come for a while. So, Well, in part in part one, we talked about how, you know, there, there was the five-game losing streak when you were injured. And in that, in that little game, there was almost a similar play uh, to how you were injured kind of before – before the goals was it was it sort yeah. of a matter of like like you say you want that one back do you feel like maybe at that moment you were a little rattled like oh I just dodged a bullet here like that was close like because I know from my vantage point watching it when it happened I mean I I was like oh my god you know like just get up <laughs> like I was rattled for like 20 minutes after it happened so I don't know <laughs> I don't want well, to... for sure. I still get tagged in that GIF um, on Instagram and stuff too. With a guy absolutely bunning me into my net, so um, it's pretty pretty fortunate play that I kind of just received the blow and the guy lost the puck. So, um, but uh, you know, Cappy all year he or I guess what back half of the year he um, he had me where I needed to be um, physically for in terms of my knee and stuff. Um, so it, it was it was pretty reinforced um, at that point in the year. Um, with tape and things like that. So it was probably stronger than it, than it ever has been. So the goal happens. You guys are going in the national championship game. You don't know who you're playing yet. Uh, but take me through, like, the next, you know, 12 hours. Like, what what is it like to try to wind down from a high like that and then try to get yourself back to the point where, well, it's like, all right, well, we didn't come here just to be low, right? I mean, we came here for something much bigger. Can you guys kind of take us through as athletes, like, and, and specifically, like, 
what you guys remember about going into the locker room after the goal, you know, leaving the rink, getting to the hotel. Like, what did you guys do individually to to try to kind of come down to the point where you could start to mentally prepare uh, for by then what you probably knew would be a game against Quinnipiac? Yeah. So I remember actually going to dinner with my parents after the game. Um, I don't remember what restaurant, but we walk in there. Um, there's a lot of UMass Lowell fans in there. We kind of like walk through the crowd. We get to the back. I think by the time we even ordered drinks or appetizers, Quinnipiac was up, I think, what, two, three goals pretty quickly in that game. And then after he sort of started, like, we played them three times through the year. You sort of not get a pit in the stomach, but you're like, oh, boy, this is this is going to be a big one. Um, I was, honestly, I was pretty excited to be playing Quinnipiac over St. Cloud. Um, obviously, we didn't get the results during the season that we wanted, but I also felt like they didn't necessarily see our best. Um, I'm not sure if they even saw us healthy once throughout the year. Right. Well, Jeff um, didn't play in either of the regular season games, right? Like both the regular season games were were while Jeff was out, and then that third game. I mean, yeah, was, and then we right. Yeah, we laid an egg. Pretty much laid an egg in uh, Atlantic City in both games. Um, then I remember going home back to the hotel, or yeah, going back to the hotel, and you just. I felt like it was easier to get ready for a national championship game, a game that big, when you know the opponent. Um, when if it was St. Cloud, you might have there'd be a little more question marks, but we knew what we were getting into. And personally, I was pretty excited about that. What do you remember about your night post OT goal, Jeff? Uh, so immediately after, um, you know, get your gear off, do your cool down with uh, Joseph Meyer. Um, but Josh, Josh was Josh was all over me, um, pretty much all year, uh, just managing me. Um, you know, my mental game and, and stuff like that. So I'm um, kind of decompressed. Um, I'm with him for about five or ten minutes, and then I was the same as Gus. Um, I was pretty fortunate to have my, my mom and dad there, my brother and his buddy. So um, we went out to a restaurant too, tried to keep it low-key. Um, and then I remember my mom, she's she's pretty uh, type A, so she said, Jeff, you need to go back to your room. Like, <laughs> you just need to get away from, from all of this, right? So I um, went back to the room. And then Legs and I, um, obviously we knew uh, QPAC, we were playing QPAC, so Legs and I, we just kind of sat there in silence like we always did, um, <laughs> kind of reflected. And, and I, <laughs> same thing with uh, with Gus, so it's a, it's a, it was a, almost a better feeling knowing we were going to play QPAC just because um, for, for as a goaltender, you, you kind of pick up on tendencies and, and you have tons and tons of video of QPAC, so um, Josh was cutting that that night, so... Um, the next day we went over all that, but um, I was kind of the same thing as Gus is saying. Like it, it was, it was kind of a, not a reassurance, but it was like, okay, um, we know what we're up against now, you know. Gus, who who did you stay with that weekend? Uh so basically, ever since he came on campus, me and Rob O'Gara were roommates. So my junior and senior year, his freshman sophomore year, we roomed together. And played together every single game. I actually don't think there was one game where we weren't paired together for my last two years. So it was, it was good. He's also same as Lags. He's a little on the quieter side. Um, but in that hotel, we we kind of knew um, it goes again to knowing Quinnipiac. We knew we'd most likely be matched up against the Jones brothers. So we knew what to expect. We knew what to do going into the game. And 
I think we maybe talked about it a little bit that night, but to be honest, not much. I think both of us were kind of internally focused and ready to go. Do you feel like as as the upperclassman in the room that, that there's a responsibility on you in some way to make sure that I mean, because if you look at Jeff's situation, it's, it's two seniors together in that, right? Do you feel like there's any pressure on you or any responsibility on you um, to look after Rob in some way or to help Rob prepare more because he's a freshman? Or is that not something you're worried about, really, at that point of the season? He's more like a sophomore, you know? You know, that's uh, that old cliche, right? But when you get to, like, the 25th game, it's like the uh, the freshmen are really sophomores by then and the sophomores are juniors or whatever, but... I don't know what. How did you feel about your relationship with with Rob in that sense? Yeah, I think it's definitely a more case by case, player by player basis. But um, especially with Rob coming in, I mean, he not only was an extremely good hockey player, but he was very dedicated, very focused. There was never a time where I felt like I needed to give him a talk or get him ready for a game. He pretty much could do that on his own, and that's also a testament to him as well. Right, it's yeah, like, Rob's a pro. Like he was a pro. Yeah, he was a pro. Right, he was a stud right from the right from the beginning. Yeah, and if you look at the six D who play that game, I mean, you have three freshmen out there, and then you also have Gus, obviously yourself, and then can either of you tell me anything about Duick? Like he's quiet. I can tell you that. <laughs> I joke with Anthony all the time. Like I'll say to Anthony, like, "Hey, let's let's text Duke right now, see what he's doing." He's obviously a quiet kid, but at this at the same time, being able to have that like calming demeanor back there, especially in a big game like that, um, I think can be settling for a lot of younger players. Right. Um, he was a type of guy who never got too high, never got too low, um, pretty even keeled. And I think for young guys or anyone for that matter to look and see that at the end of the locker room, that can actually calm people down. So I think that's a huge asset. Jeff, did you know him growing up yeah. at all? You guys are kind of from the same area, right? Uh, not growing up at all. Um, we may have played against each other, um, you know, here and there. But right. um, I can I can say that I was I was one of the closer guys with him on the team. Um, um, invited to his wedding, you know, this past year and stuff like that. So I have seen him a bunch um, since that day, and he's still the same personality. Like he's just the way he goes about himself, um, the way he carries himself. Um, a lot of guys respected him. Um, cause he, he was, he was always just, um, so calming and I guess a man of integrity. Like he, everyone disrespected him. Um, and that was both on and off the ice. So, um, with a guy like him, especially as a goaltender, right. Uh, a guy like that in front of you, just like your steady defenseman, um, does everything right. Um, you know, in the weight room, things like that. Like that guy is, a, he's an absolute beast. Uh, I think he outlifted pretty much everyone. Maybe not you Gus, but. <laughs> he's pretty he's sure he had to be. Yeah. So let's talk about Friday a little bit. What do you do all day? How do you burn that day? Like that's a tough day to burn. I remember myself. Like I think I woke up like around ten thirty. Looked at the clock. It felt like it was six hours later. It's ten forty five. Like what did you guys do? How, how did you guys burn that day off? What do you guys remember about Friday? Uh. So. I think it was just business as usual, right? Um, especially from my vantage point, uh, to try to have a little bit of fun with practice. That's kind of who I was, especially that year. Um, have fun with the guys and, and compete, battle, do my job um, in, in practice, that type of thing. Um, 
And then I remember meeting uh, Josh in the in the hotel room, and he had cut a bunch of video for me, so he went over that. Um, and then he, he gave me a CD because, you know, CDs were still relevant back then, um, or a DVD, I guess, and it had uh, clips from the entire the entire season. So um, some of the Denver game, some up in Cornell when it was uh, nationally televised, some on Ingalls and Harvard, that type of thing, just like a highlight reel thing. Um, and, like, I got absolute chills um, when, when I was watching this back in my room um, that he had, like, gone through all this, this film and stuff and cut me um, this thing, and I still have I still have it. And sometimes I watch, well, when I was a pro, I, I would refer back to it when I was down or whatever. Um, so I still have that, that DVD thing. But um, Josh, Josh was great for me that year. Like I said, he kind of rode me and, and kind of managed me pretty much everything that I did um on and off the ice so that was that was pretty much my day got to see my parents again you know it was, it was a great experience having them fly all the way out there so what about nick and uh what about nick and um and wilson what was the relationship like between you three guys yeah willie and cheech were they were great for me that year too right um obviously i you know it's tough when they when they have to go in into a situation when i got hurt there right i'm not playing a whole lot but they like they all year, we um, each of us had a day. Um, I can't remember who was Tuesday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. Um, we would go in six or seven in the morning. Um, we'd do some off ice stuff with with Josh, and then we'd have an hour out out on the ice um, with a couple shooters. Um, so they they were putting in just as much work as, as everyone else, right? Um, they had their their specific things that they wanted to accomplish that year, um, and we competed against each other in practice and things like that. So. Um, both two two different personalities um, compared to each other. Um, Willie was more fun loving, and, and Nick was more uh, business like. So um, they were they were great. They were great assets for me to fall back on and and ask questions and things like that. So, Gus, what did you do on Friday? Oh, well, first of all, practice. I remember actually being pretty loose. Uh, we had this one drill that I don't know if the goalies liked it, but all the players liked it called quadrants which was basically just guys taking one-timers from the bottom of the circle at the goalie. Um, so that always got the boys going. And then it was just sort of staying focused. Uh, there was obviously a lot more media around the locker room after practice that, that we were obviously used to. Um, fortunately for me personally, I was never one to really either be asked for media or even really go out of my way to talk to the media. So for me, it was more business per usual. But I remember a lot of the other guys, uh, probably Malcolm, Root, Miller, Agassino, doing sort of a lot of media and um, them trying to stay focused. And then after practice, I remember uh, my two brothers, they weren't there for the UMass bowl game, but flew in for the finals. And I just sort of hung out with them for a little bit, went for a walk, and then back to the hotel pretty early and once again in business as usual. Jeff, what do you remember about recording those like goofy things they played on the broadcast where you're like flipping the puck around and stuff and you're like in your jersey and a hat and shorts and you're, like standing around looking at the camera? Like what do you what do you remember about doing that stuff for ESPN? Those are some of the most uncomfortable moments because they, <laughs> they just throw you in front of the the, the the light or whatever in the room. Um and all your buddies are standing behind the camera just just trying to make you laugh and things like that. Um it was it was a cool experience, I guess, but yeah, it was it was very uncomfortable. 
Uh, I think I had my mask on for one of them, and that was just weird because I didn't have any of my gear on, so I was just like a bobblehead. Um, <laughs> legs was the best, though, for sure, flipping the puck and stuff. <laughs> I'll never forget that. Obviously, in part one, one of their favorite things to talk about was eating the uh, the chicken pasta at 9 o'clock in the morning or whatever <laughs> before the first game, but luckily the national championship game was more of a normal day. Uh, and you guys got to go through more of a normal routine. Uh, Jeff, take me through. Through Okay, so it's Saturday now, and you got a game. It's basically at the normal time, the game, the time you're used to playing. Take me through your routine. Take me through your day. How do you get ready uh, to prepare? And did you do anything different because it's the national final? Or were you able to just kind of maintain that, like, it's just another Saturday at 7 o'clock game or whatever? Well, I mean, that magnitude, right, it's hard not to, to kind of get um, a little buggy or whatever, a little jittery. But um, since it was my birthday, um, and I've never said this, but obviously I knew it was my birthday, um, I woke up to a bunch of text messages, you know, like all the friends back home, oh, we'll be watching tonight, that type of thing. So you're sifting through your phone and then realizing, okay, I got to I gotta hit the reset button here. So, again, it was Josh, and I'm sure you've met him. He's the most um, stoic person. Um, he doesn't give you too much when you talk to him. So, um, you know, breakfast as per usual, um, pregame skate, stuff like that, the video and then uh, video with Josh, um, that type of thing. See the parents for five, ten minutes that day because you got to focus and then a hard nap um, just because, you know, instead of talking to legs, I guess we always used to snap, you know. You're a big napper? That was what I did. You're a big game day yeah, napper, yeah. Napper, so. yeah. Yeah, I was able to settle sell down, get a good hour and a half in. What about um, you, Gus? Then, yeah, so I, I actually, I remember for the national championship game and for a lot of games, I am definitely a big pregame napper because I don't sleep nearly as much at night. Um, I kind of run things through my head a lot. Um, so I remember after pregame skate, um, have Neil go back to the room. O'Gara usually put on. He was a big HGTV. Like treehouse house hunters guys. Oh god! So he would throw that on the TV. <laughs> he would throw that on the TV, and that would put me right to sleep. Um, so I would be. I was also a big, big napper. Um, similar to what Jeff said, uh, just sort of a lot of text messages from people back home, not wishing me happy birthday, but wishing me good luck. Um, I think my, especially my mom, they were more, more serious more focused than I was before the game I think they actually probably refused to talk to me hoping I'd be getting ready um but yeah I'll say I'll try to treat it like any other game um but yeah that was basically my routine all year before we get to the rink I want to ask you guys growing up what did you guys win championships I mean Gus did, did you win states ever uh anything pre-Yale Jeff I don't know do they have something called pre- provincials or something like we have states in the u.s i mean what was your guys experience in championship games uh growing up not not like you go to a weekend tournament and you play in a championship but kind of longer season type things anything uh my my senior year of high school um our midget team we were uh because uh, they didn't make junior that year so i came back to lethbridge and, and just played midget um and we were like unbeatable that year so it was a little a little bit of a cakewalk, but we did win um, our league title, and then we won provincials. Um, but other than that, like my junior team, we were we were terrible. 
um, and then other than that, just like tournaments growing up and stuff. So it was just just that one time, one experience we had, and we had a team that I think we lost like three games all year. So um, not really comparable. What about you, Gus? Yeah. So for before Yale played in prep school, um, we all play for a fall preseason team, and my team, the Cape Cod Whalers. We were fortunate enough to win the state championship a couple times, but uh, never played in the national championship um, at nationals for midget major, but lost to Shattuck St. Mary's. Um, and then in prep school, uh, my senior year, we had a really good team. Probably were actually favored to win the prep school tournament and ended up losing to Avon Old Farms in the semifinals. So kind of similar where I didn't have – Sort of other than youth hockey, like you said, youth hockey tournaments, youth hockey seasons, I'd never had a, had a championship under my belt, but I came close a couple times. So it's definitely something I really wanted. So when you were in nationals, did you were you guys the hosts, and that's why you win, or did you win states to get the nationals? So we won states, and okay. I played with the Cape Cod Whalers. Okay. I ended up traveling out to Fraser, Michigan, and ended up playing Shattuck St. Mary's in the finals. Do you remember who if anyone notable on that Shattuck team? Um, no, not no. that I can remember. Not important. I don't know if it was one of their stronger teams or not. Yeah, not important. <laughs> all right, so we get to the rink. Day's done. Oh, did you guys watch the Masters at all? Either of you guys watching the Masters? I, that's one thing I remember is there's like a big controversy with Tiger Woods. He was like facing a penalty for something. I, I think we had I it on the didn't watch room, it. right? I think last I don't remember that. Though. Okay. Put it on for him. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, you, so you get in the, you get to the rink, uh, Jeff. You start. Uh, how, what's what's your process to get ready for the game once you get to the rink? Well, it was, it was. I don't know if you remember younger, but there's didn't we get a bus there? And there's like a red carpet with like the fanfare thing. Yeah, and um, I got a funny yeah. story and about we, that too. But go ahead. Yes. So we we get off the bus or whatever, and there's you have your headphones in and there's, I don't know how many people just standing there and there's a, literally a red carpet laid out for you. And you're like, okay, where, where are we? Um, and then I remember getting down, um, to the, to the locker room and stuff, um, and following Miller out onto the bench. Um, and we were just kind of like sitting there, standing there, um, out on the bench. We didn't say anything to each other. We both had our, our earbuds in or whatever. Um, and I still have a picture of, of Andrew sitting or standing on the bench. And I'll never forget that time. We were just like, we didn't say anything to each other. Um, we were just kind of looking out at the ice, just kind of like, all right, here we go, that type of thing. Are you visualizing the game a little bit at that point, or are you just kind of um, peaceful? Not really. I not really. Kinda, just, yeah, just, it was just peaceful, right? Just trying to take in the moment as best you can because you never know um, what the outcome is going to be. So just kind of enjoying it um, with, with Andrew out, out there. So it was, it was a great time. I didn't go to the red carpet on Thursday. So I made a point to go on Saturday. So two funny things about that. So one was that when Anthony was coming towards me off the bus, he had a Starbucks in his hand and he walked so close to me that I kind of gave him a shot in the elbow. So I thought, I thought it'd be kind of funny if he spilled his Starbucks all over the red carpet, but he just managed to hold on to it. And it's funny too, because they show that on TV in the broadcast, and it pisses me off to this day because it'd been so much, so much funnier if it, it was him dropping the Starbucks. And then the other funny <laughs> thing is, you guys came in first, and then everyone kind of clears out, right? And then the the Quinnipiac people line up on the uh, on the on the rails there, and um, 
and kind of take over. So I, I kind of walk, start walking away, and I look back, and I see Mrs. Ruffalo and Mr. Ruffalo and a few Quinnipiac people and my brother, and they're getting in a dust-up. They're, they're like, arguing. And, you know, Mr. Ruffalo, being an adult, walks away. My brother, Greg, being an idiot, was literally an inch away from a fight with a Quinnipiac fan. So I had to go back uh, and and prevent my brother from fighting with some nit- nitwit Quinnipiac fan. I don't even know to this day what it was about, but um, there's there's actually a picture of Greg and the uh, other guy arguing too. One of the media people took it, and I have that picture. It's funny. But um, all right, when you get into the building, what'd you do, Gus? Uh, back, yeah. So back to the bus thing, what I remember, what I thought was pretty funny is that our hotel was probably 50 yards from the rink <laughs> and we end up pack, we end up packing in this bus. And by the time we get in the bus, get off the bus and get through the red carpet, even though the hotel is 50 yards away, I think that process took about 30, 35 minutes. So I always thought that was kind of ironic. And then getting into the rink, um, I kind of always did the same thing, uh, similar to, Miller, I kind of like to uh, get lost. I would usually take take two, three of my sticks, go find a place in the stands, kind of sit by myself, take my sticks, sort of get ready for the game, and that's what I did there as well. So I was probably a couple rows rows up behind uh, behind Malcolm during that time. I'm um, just kind of sitting by myself, getting ready. What did Keith say to you guys before the game? I don't even remember. Yeah, I, I honestly I can't remember exactly what he said, but um, well, do you guys want to hear pregame? Do you guys want to hear what Rand said to said to Quinnipiac? Yeah, sure. Play it back. <laughs> the end. We've had forty two games this year. We've lost seven. That's it. We don't need to change anything, do we? Forty two games. We've lost seven all year. We are a great hockey team, and we're great because we are relentless. We hunt pucks. We do not allow time and space. We compete. We win battles, we bats, we win races, okay, and we pull for each other. Let's get a W. Here we go. Reactions? <laughs> I guess I'll start there. Which, yeah, that's true. But uh, one thing, I mean, they, they, he does have a point in the sense that they were a very good hockey team, they, and they were relentless. They were probably one of the fastest teams we played all year. But I think that uh, that clip could be a perfect juxtaposition with Elaine because I don't think there'd be a chance in hell that Elaine would have let the cameras even into the locker room before the game. So I think it kind of shows, shows you where the, the mentality of the kind of our coaching staff was there. Um, we kind of try to keep everything internal um, and try to play for each other, play for ourselves. And I think that was a big asset for us. Do you guys think that they maybe got caught being a little overconfident going into that game? I know they would never admit it. They'd say, oh, it's a national championship game. It's all the motivation you need. But I don't know. I watch a clip like that, you know, and I just I just get a sense of a team who feels like they didn't do, need to do a lot much more than show up to that game and they are going to be national champions. I can start there. Again. Yeah, I would say maybe. But what I would say is that um, I end up uh, – when I turned pro my first year, uh, one of my best friends on the Worcester Sharks was uh, Jeremy Langlois from Quinnipiac. And I remember just sort of talking to him uh, over the next two seasons about it. 
And I didn't, I didn't get that notion from him personally. Um, and I think also to keep in mind, at least for the players' aspect of their team, is it was a really good hockey game. It was physical, it was fast, it was back and forth. And, I mean, we scored with, what, like three, I don't even know what the time was on the clock anymore. Right, yeah, seconds we'll, left in we'll the break second, all that down in a second. Second period. Mm-hmm. And, then, and then, yeah, we'll get into that later, but then kind of exploded into the, in the third period. What do you think, Jeff? I, I'm the same way. Um, um, the, the athletic trainer in Hartford, um, he, he, was, uh, he was the athletic trainer at QPAC, so... I spent four years um, with him, and and he like their mindset like they were trying to win a national championship too. So they they were they were obviously a very good hockey team, like Gus said. Um, but that's the nature of of college hockey, right? Like that's that's the national tournament. Like anything can happen, right? So um, I think Keith did a great job of of managing us as as a team and and making sure that you know the noise that was a part of that weekend wasn't seeping into our locker room. Um, exactly. and I know you, you were up in the stand. So I, I know the QPAC fans thought that they had it in the bag, um, and things like that. Like, I'll, I went to, uh, I don't know if it was Thanksgiving, maybe it was Easter, um, up with Josh. Um, and he was, well, he still is, but he's dating, he was dating a, a QPAC girl. And I just remember being, um, with their family and them talking about how good this QPAC team was and stuff like that. So for the players, I don't think they thought they were, just going to walk in and, and take it over but i know i know for a fact that like the fans and everyone else that they were all right let's start let's talk about the game first the first memory i have about the game is is the anthems i remember you know when they're they're singing the anthem they got the big flag on the ice and everything i just remember like kind of like thinking about everything that had led up to to get there you know like it just like Every hockey game I ever watched my brother play, like, kind of flashed through my mind somehow or something, you know? And I was like, you know, here we are. What are you guys thinking when, uh, during the anthems? I mean, uh, Jeff, you're standing in your net. You know, Gus, you're standing on the line. What are you guys thinking about during, uh, during, during the Star Spangled Banner? Um, so, yeah, it's actually, I remember for, Couple of years after after that game, my uh, my screensaver on the back of my laptop was actually a picture of the anthem with the whole crowd basically sold out, standing up, the flag on the ice, and like just kind of looking back on that moment is actually one of the cooler sort of glimpses of the game, like where everything's kind of slowed down uh, that I had, and that was a really good memory of that. But yeah, just kind of in the moment when you're standing there. Um, I used to and still do get anxious before games, but sort of a good anxious. You get the you get the butterflies, the adrenaline going, and I don't think there's been a point in my life where they've been higher than than that two minutes, whatever it was at that time, right there. What do you remember about it, Jeff? Yeah, I, like standing there, just uh, listening to the anthem and stuff, knowing knowing that your parents, your family are here, and like I've never played in front of I don't know how many how many people are in that building that day, but. Like just just trying to take it all in, and and I'm kind of the same way, you know. Get the adrenaline going, um, start winding up. Uh, what what's what's about to happen? So that was it's an incredible feeling, I guess, at that point. Now, Jesse and Kenny and I talked a little bit about how in the Minnesota game, the first period is kind of that hockey cliche where the teams are feeling each other out a little bit, you know. 
announcers love to talk about that. Every hockey game you watch on TV, they're like, oh, these first few shifts, this first period, these teams are feeling each other out. But when you play Quinnipiac, it's the fourth time he has played that year. You don't really need to feel each other out, right? It's, is, is it a little different in the first period in that game than it is in the other three tournament games? Or is it still a little bit of of this, this isn't the other three games. This is the national final. So is there maybe still a little bit of an element of feeling out? And I think, I think Gus, you'd be probably perfect to take that one first. Um, I, yeah, I think it was definitely a lot less of a feeling out process than both Minnesota, North Dakota, and I guess UMass Lowell as well. Um, one of my, I think one of a pivotal moment in the game. And, uh, I mean, we've talked about him earlier, but just what I thought was an unbelievable play is I think one of the first shifts, Rob O'Gara lays a huge hit, um, in the neutral zone, ends up getting a penalty for it. But just sort of the fact that someone like him, a young guy, steps up that early, makes a big hit like that, sets the tone. Like those are the penalties we'll be happy to kill off early in the game. And I think stuff like that really set the tone. And like I said before, like I think it was a really, really fast physical game. And I didn't feel there was much of a feeling out, feeling out process early on. Jeff, how important is the first shot for you in a game like that? Just to, just to make that first save, is is that important to you at all? Absolutely. Yeah. Um, I think it's it's kind of like like I said, right? Like it wasn't really a feeling out process. It was just kind of waiting for, um, okay, who's going to be the the team that makes the first mistake, um, and then that's going to start to dictate more of the game. Um, but yeah, that first shot and the subsequent ones, um, especially the first five or ten minutes, those are huge. Um, just for personally, just so you can you can tell how you're feeling um, that day. Um, and I'll never forget either. There's there's one one shot. Um, Get who shot it, but it kind of hit me weird um, and popped up right in front of me, and I ended up batting it out of the air into the corner. I can picture that in my um, head. And then, I can picture that. I can yeah, picture that go. in my head right now. Yeah. And then from that point on, it was just kind of like, okay, like I'm feeling it today. Like, all right, we're going to be fine. Um, let's just do this. So I think uh, that was probably my my turning point early on in the game was when I when I batted the puck out of the air, and I was like, okay. You guys, you guys talked about how fast the game was. The first period was a blink. It's 0-0, we get to the second period, and Gus, I have to ask you, the second period starts, what is it like to get walked in the national championship game? <laughs> I knew that was coming. Uh, um, so two things. First, <laughs> I actually think I think I went at him so hard that when I missed, it kind of threw him off a little. Like I don't think he actually got that good of a shot off because of it. <laughs> At least that's what I tell myself. <laughs> and the second one was I remember talking to both my brothers after the game at the hotel bar, and my oldest brother Seamus comes up to me and he's like, "You know, if you if you hit him, like if you look at your elbow, you probably would have taken his head off and been thrown out of the game." So, so I, I legitimately leaped at him. Um, so yeah, that was definitely a tough moment, but I'm glad that was the only bad part. Jeff, the first five minutes of that period are probably the best five minutes Quinnipiac played in the game. You had to make that save after Gus got walked, and then there was another play pretty shortly after that where Anthony, I don't know if he got hit or fell or what happened to him on the wall, but he goes down and suddenly, I think it was Samuels Thomas, comes out in front and maybe made one too many moves. I don't know how you felt about it, but... That might have been the biggest save in the game. That might have been their 
their best chance. Because like Gus says, uh, Pekka was... That's I remember personally. Yeah, because Pekka was going a million miles an hour. I don't think you're wrong about that, Gus. So I, I kind of agree with you that he didn't get... He didn't have a lot of options, you know what I mean? It's, it's almost like Jeff follows him to the post. He's going to be okay. Where I felt like Samuels Thomas had all the time in the world to kind of pick out what he wanted, and I thought that was the best save of the game. What do you remember about about both of those plays, Jeff? Uh, Gus getting locked. I don't really remember the shot, but um, I remember, you know, that that's the team we were um, all year, right? Like, Younger and, and your brother, and like, how many how many shots did they block for me? Or, you know, how many how many times did they did they save me or whatever? So um that's that's just the team we were. Um Samuels Thomas, if he just Thanks, slides bud. that five hole, I, if if he just slides that five hole, like it's a different game, right? Mm-hmm. Um but I think I think he he may have made just one too many moves and then I my uh go go gadget arm went out and really, really fortunate to make the save. I had no idea where the puck went after, so uh, I was pretty lucky. And I think I think Dazer bought me a coffee or two or after the game. So. <laughs> coffee, coffee. Uh, all right, so we dodge those five minutes. The game kind of settles back in a little bit. There's a few power plays here and there. You guys have a a flurry on a power play where I can recall Butchergrass. So I've watched this game a few, couple times. Uh, I can recall Butchergrass saying like, "Oh, they yell so close," you know, it's like. One of those flurries on a power play. And then finally, there's 15 seconds left. It's a draw at center ice. Uh, Gus, take us through this play. So uh, we win We win the face-off. Wait, wait. Before you win the face-off, uh, hold on, hold on. Before you get to that, what are you thinking before the puck is dropped there? Like, what's your mentality with 15 seconds left, neutral zone draw? Well, like, what's your strategy? Or what are be- you thinking? Before it's even, even dropped, last minute of the period, especially when... Who's O'Gara and myself out there? Um, I'm actually not even sure who's out there for them, but I'm suspecting it was um, sort of one of their one of their go-to lines. And for the last minute, especially as a shutdown pair, we both neither of us were really necessarily known for our offensive play that year. We just didn't want to give anything up in the last 15 seconds. Um, so before the face-off, that was kind of our mindset. That obviously changed, you know, five six seconds after the face-off, but. Okay, so you're thinking defense, the puck's dropped, and it wins back clean. Pick it up from there. So it wins back clean. I think there's a little bit of sort of slow down in neutral zone. It gets dumped in probably, I don't know, how many, a little under 10 seconds. And then what I remember thinking there is, well, A, I have the green light to pinch. They're not going to be able to sort of get down the ice and score. Um, and as I was thinking that, uh, I see Hartzell go play the puck behind the net. And I know because he, you know, there's not much time left. He's probably going to try to make a safe play by throwing it up either strong side or weak side glass. And so I knew just to go down the wall and I was fortunate enough where he kind of put it right on my tape. Um, I didn't know how much time was left, so I was just trying to throw to the net. And Clint made a, a great read to get to the net, put a stick on it. And I'm not even sure if Hartzell was even fully set yet, um, but I think it went five hole right between his legs. Yeah, and the big mistake on their side there, right, is that there's no winger on the boards with you. You kind of are able to yeah, get that so remember, clean, right? I, yeah, he's kind of – so he was with me up the whole way of the ice, and then he kind of just just stopped at the blue line, either expecting the period was over or just thought maybe Hartz. I, mean, I think – I could be wrong, but I think Hartz will end up going up 
sort of like the weak side for him. So the puck was actually thrown around the boards pretty slowly. Um, it wasn't on a strong side where he could get it on the glass or along the ice. I don't think my winger was really expecting that. He was kind of checked out at that point. And I was able to just sort of sneak by him. But yeah, he didn't. I remember him just being flat-footed. He didn't stand. He just stood still. Do you remember seeing anything from where you were, Jeff, uh, with that play? I mean, 15 seconds left. The, the play's down at the other end. Uh, sort of like a nothing neutral zone play gets dumped in. Hartzell goes, I think you're right, guys. He went backhand with it. Um, and then it tips in, and then I'm celebrating looking up two seconds left in the period or wherever it was and that that was like for me that was a huge relief just having uh, that going into the third period jeff if you watch the interview you did on the ice after the game i think you're a little punch drunk in a way like i think you're like in one of those moments where maybe it hasn't sunk in yet or you know you just you're still kind of coming down but he asks you about when you knew you guys had him, and and you say the first goal. Did you did you feel that way? Were you, were you kind of just not listening to this guy's question, or like when the goal goes in? Did did you get the feeling like they're not scoring on me, and we have them now, or was it just one of those things after the game where you're almost just kind of trying to say anything to get that over with? I honestly probably probably later. Like I'm just just. I have no idea what's going on, what just happened. Right. Um, just, just trying to, just trying to get this guy away from me so I can go <laughs> celebrate with my teammates. But <laughs> um, looking back on it, like, yeah, that probably wasn't um, the best thing to say, right? Because um, there's still a whole other period. But uh, I, I don't know. Like, I felt like with that goal, they're they're gonna have to beat me twice um, to win this game. And I obviously um, with our with our skill up front, I think you know we could probably put one or one or two more away. So. Um, I don't know. If, I don't know if that was the right thing to say at that point, but whatever. <laughs> <laughs> Gus, what do you remember about the locker room between the second and the third period? I remember right away. I, the guys were pretty pretty jacked up when we get into the locker room. I think it was important that uh, you know, the older guys, obviously Miller, but even sort of the big guys like seniors like Josh Ball, sort of calming people down. Um, sort of to come from such a high like that, scoring a goal. You know, a couple seconds left, but still, still knowing there's another period. Um, and then, sort of what we kind of, I remember talking about um, during the game is that Quinnipiac hadn't really been in that position too much. Um, we had what five, six, seven overtime games that year, whatever it was. And they, like they said before the game, they had seven losses all year. They kind of had obviously a really good regular season, so we were sort of we were used to those type of games, which I think helped us a lot. Um, that experience throughout the year, sort of calm down the locker room and they will get ready for the third. Third period starts, and Jeff, I kind of want you to talk about the second goal because it's an interesting one. Orzetti kind of brings it off the wall and takes a shot, and I think Barry Mellis did a really good job breaking down this goal where he makes the point that after the initial shot, the Quinnipiac defenseman kind of turns towards towards Hartzell instead of staying with Orzetti. And Orzetti gets the other shot, which still to this day, I'm not really sure where it went. Uh, Chip Chip told me that Hartzell told him it hit his pad. So I went back today and watched it 10 times. I don't really see it hit his pad. I don't know. But 
what do you remember about that goal from where you were or watching it later? And what about as a goalie? You know, how important is that point that 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 Melrose makes about the defenseman kind of turning the other way? Absolutely. And I, I talked to Hartslow um, after about, about that play specifically because um, Orzetti comes down, I think he fires it just inside the blue line, and Hartzell puts it in a pretty good place, um, like yeah. know, down near the below the circle, almost to the goal line. Um, and then he's just he's just getting back to his post, making I don't know a post save or whatever. Um, and he's to this day, like he said, he he has no idea where the puck went or how it went in. Um, he always blames his old pads. That's what he told me. So, um, and it's. Good for Orzetti just to just to find that puck and throw it back at, at the net, and I I don't know how it goes in. Um, thank God it does. But yeah, just just uh, the defenseman turning the wrong way or whatever. Um, uh, just because he's he's. But that's why you you take shots, right? Um, get the defenseman turning, and, and anything can really happen. So, and I don't I don't know what he was doing because he skated across like literally across the ice and broke the glass. Like what? Did, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, we had a delay. Right. And you know what? During that delay, I watched Hartzell the whole time. whole time I watched him, and he never stopped moving that whole delay. He's going around, his, he's skating around his net, skating around the dots, talking to himself, looking at his equipment, looking at the net. Like, he was rattled, and I know I felt, because he was right in front of me. You remember the third period? That's in front of where we're all sitting, that period. And, you know, like, if... If uh, Orzetti jumps a little harder, he probably would have fell on my lap. So that's basically where I am. <laughs> I just remember thinking, like, wow, we got this guy. Like, he had such a great season, but I know, like, the book on him was you. if you can rattle him, you know, he, he can he can become a little bit a little bit rattled. And I felt like we had him at that moment. I don't know. What did you think about the goal, Gus, and about kind of the mentality in terms of attacking Hartzell from that point forward? Um, in terms of attacking Hartzell, um, whether or not he was internally rattled or not, when you see a goal like that, you're kind of going up and down the bench saying, all right, boys, you know, he's thinking about that one. Just keep peppering him there. Keep peppering him. Um, whenever a goalie lets in a goal like that, you always want to get as many shots as you can right away because you know he, or at least you assume or hope that he's he's thinking about it a little more. And then just in terms of the game, I think that A, allowed us to breathe a little easier at that point. And then B, we knew that they would be pressing more, which if we just stayed committed to good defense, that would definitely open up more opportunities uh, sort of on the transition off the rush, which it did. Yeah, and, and that leads us right into Kenny Agostino's 100th point as a Yale Bulldog. And I always tell him I feel bad uh, that it gets overlooked because, well, you know, it's a it's a breakaway goal in the national championship game. Uh, but, uh, yeah, so Kenny explained that he, he, he won a battle against one of the Jones twins. Uh, Andrew calls for it, and he's on a breakaway. What did you see from your from your spot in the net, uh, Jeff? Yeah, I didn't even know that. So it's I listened to, your, to part one there, and, and that was the only time I found out that was his 100th point. So. Um, but um, I, I watched the goal uh, again today. Diego makes just a great play. Um, and Andrew with his speed and his skill, um, I don't know how, how much time he had, but he chose to shot from, or take a shot from pretty much the top of the, uh, the hash marks, um, and beat some five holes. So that, at that point, i I feel like it was what, halfway through the third period. Yeah. Um, the, the next 10 minutes were the longest 10 minutes of my life. Um, oh, just trying yeah. to, 
just trying to weather it and stuff. But um, that was a huge, huge goal for us. What was your view, Gus? Um, I was following up the play as well. So I probably had the same vantage point as Malcolm um, just because I was skating up the ice trying to join the play. Um, yeah, I thought it was uh, kind of funny. I remember talking to Miller. He can probably attest to it later. But I think Hartzell was uh, interviewed the day before. And I was talking about actually facing Miller on a couple of breakaways throughout the season and was saying uh, that Miller hasn't really been able to solve his number. And I thought it was kind of funny. He gets blown in the national championship game and puts it home. Yeah, actually, Chip had mentioned that uh, that uh, he had talked about how he had owned him with the glove hand that he kept. Yeah. Yeah, he kept. I wasn't going to say that. I was trying to keep it a little nicer, but yeah. <laughs> so. At that point, do you guys feel like you got him? So I was actually asked that question uh, post-game, right after the game. Um, someone in the media asked me, so after that third uh, goal, was that when you, you realized you won a national championship? And I kind of laughed at him and was like, uh, no. Like, what a dumb question. <laughs> um, Thanks. So throughout the season, especially if you, if you look at our season, um, sort of where it was, like we had to go – like, we were everything to the whistle to the end. And until Ruder put that fourth home, I think that was really the first time I could kind of exhale completely. And then how do you play? I thought that was funny. You would ask me that right after the game. How do you play out that six minutes after the Ruder goal? Like, it's just chip. It's just chip, 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 right? I mean, that's really all you're trying to do, just burn seconds. Yeah. I just remember from uh, the defense end of the bench, we were just talking about short shifts, you know, a 15-second shift is better than a minute-and-a-half-second shift. Um, if you earn your zone for a couple seconds, you break it out, just change, um, kind of keep the legs fresh because really the only reason they can get back in the game is if you know we're tired or they get a couple. So I just remember just keeping it simple, keeping short shifts, uh, doing what we can, and I thought we actually executed that game plan pretty well. Jeff, are you thinking about the shutout with six minutes left? Um, no, I, I don't think I thought about the shutout until – probably uh, under two minutes. Uh, I forget. I think there's a whistle or two um, in there, but just kind of like what Gus is saying, like we're, we're not playing not to lose. We're playing, we're still playing to win. Right. Um, obviously with their, the season they had and the, the, the firepower that they had, like a couple quick goals. Um, and it, it had happened to me and to us, I don't know, countless times in my four years at school where teams, you know, we'd be up and teams would tie it. Um, so we're still trying to play to win. There's an unbelievable video on the internet of the bench in the last 12 seconds of that game. <laughs> and uh, Yeah, that's one of my favorite videos. Right, it's one of the great videos, really, on the entire internet. You know, there's Anthony pretty much jump. He's ready to celebrate with, like, nine seconds left. I think it's the first time he jumps on the ice. And uh, he jumps back on. And then there's someone who yells, fuck yeah, younger which is a great part of the video. And and then you guys spill out. Okay, so the first question about the celebration is, Jeff, what are you doing with the net there, buddy? I've never never seen that before or after. So tell me what's going on. Why do we need to move the net? Get the pegs out of there. I don't want to get crushed. Um, (laughs) I had Rob Loguer on the ice. He was coming barreling down at me. Turned around, flipped the net. And that's when I that was when I could really relax and start celebrating, right? Um, and then obviously they take me right into the boards, but I just didn't want to be have my spine broken over the over the crossbar there, so I I got rid of it. 
Okay, good, good thinking, good thinking. I like it. All right, what about what? <laughs> take me. Okay, so fuck yeah, younger. Take me from that point on, then. Yes, I remember me and O'Gara out with like, I don't know, I think around 40, 45 seconds left. Uh, I'm skating up the ice. I look over. I, I decided to change to get Duke out there. I was senior defenseman, so I wanted him to go out there. So I remember once I got off with like 40 seconds left, my helmet was already unbuckled. Um, just like you said with Daisy, I think. I think we probably could have gotten too many men there at the end of the ice. Right. Get about four or five guys <laughs> over, over the bench with a couple of seconds left. And uh, when I went, when I was skating towards, I just remember throwing. I remember looking at my helmet after the game, and the side was completely dented. Cause I think I might have hit the roof with how high I threw my helmet in the air. And uh, I think I was second or third to Malcolm. There's a pretty good picture in the Yale Alumni Magazine in the cover yeah, I of know me the coming picture. in. Uh-huh. Uh, it's like, I think it's like Malcolm, O'Gara, maybe Rosetta and me coming in. Uh, and, yeah, and I think Malcolm kind of said it earlier. At that point, you just kind of kind of black out like in terms of the celebration. Yeah. You just, I don't know, there's so much going on. You got the confetti. Uh, yeah, it was just pretty crazy. Jeff, do you still have your stick from that night? Oh, yeah. Gus, do you have yours? I do, yes. What else? Do you guys keep anything else? Any other... Uh... Anything else you keep from that night? They pick up any confetti off the ice, or I mean, obviously they give you a t-shirt and a hat and all that. Do you guys have anything else specifically from that night? Um, so my mom, like throughout the the whole NCAA tournament, was kind of collecting, not necessarily from the ice, but was collecting all the like newspaper articles, magazine clippings from around New Haven, around Boston, Pittsburgh, wherever we were. So that's pretty cool to have all those. But in terms of things on the ice. Uh, no, I think I actually just have my my stick from the game winning uh, from the national championship game. You got anything else, Jeff? Oh yeah, my my dad was the same way. He's pretty nostalgic. He, I think he bought everything and anything all along the way, um, in terms of like gear and stuff like that. But um, I have the puck. Obviously, it was a nice shot of puck. So um, I have a stick, and then. Uh, my my pads and equipment and stuff like that are they're actually in uh, they're in Ingles. So when I turned pro, I came back to to school before camp and stuff like that, and I um, I didn't get my new gear until camp. So um, I left I left my Yale gear with uh, with Corey. Um So it's still actually in, in the equipment room at at Ingles. That's awesome. That's really cool. There's a on the on the uh, the broadcast you can hear Clint say. Why don't they give us a trophy? Uh, and then at that at that point, you guys are down down at the at our end. What do you guys remember about coming down there the first time? And obviously, probably looking in the crowd and trying to find your families, right? Yeah. So mine, uh, I remember coming down. Uh, we're kind of all taking turns, whether it's taking pictures, hugging guys, whatever it was. Now remember, this and, is uh, pre-trophy. We're for- talking. Pre-trophy. So after yeah, so, you go through the handshake line. Yeah, we come down, and I remember my uh, two brothers and my cousin that were there were glass level. And I remember kind of just going up to the glass with them, sort of both, the, like all four of us banging on the glass right in front of each other. Uh, so I do remember that before the trophy. So yeah, like I said, I I mean, I had my emotions everywhere. I pretty much blacked out during that whole celebration. Do you guys? Do either of you guys remember anything interesting about the handshake line? Was there anything there? What about uh, Jeff? What about when you get to Hartzell? You guys say anything to each other? Yeah, he said. Uh, 
think he said you earned a kid or something like that. And, and he was, he was pretty choked up. Um, obviously you, you come to that point, um, anything in any championship in sport to be on the other side of that, I couldn't imagine it. Right. So, um, but he said, yeah, you earned it tonight, kid or something like that. So what um, I always had a lot of respect for Hartzell and we, we always talked, um, like I went to camps and stuff like that with him, um, later on. So what about Rand? Does he tell either of you guys that they're the better team or did he wait for the press conference for that? <laughs> uh, I don't remember him saying anything to me. No, no. Okay. So let's just but wait no. for the presser no. for that. Uh, okay. So you, you, you get the trophy finally. And, uh, what do you guys? What what do each of you guys remember about your turn with it? You know, as you guys came down and you passed it around. What do you guys remember about? Yeah, for sure. Um, so I think after the handshake line is when I did that interview, and then I, uh, like Gus, I wanted to try and find my family. And there's kind of a cool video in the highlight package that we got of me looking like absolutely dazed, just trying to find my family and yep. what I do. I know it. Yeah, That was a pretty cool moment. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I know that. Yeah. yeah. I know that clip too, actually. Yeah. And then uh, someone someone threw over like a Yale flag, flag or something like yeah. that. So I immediately wrapped it around myself, right? <laughs> I don't know what else to do with it. And then when uh, Balsh was yelling at me to, to take the trophy or whatever, um, I remember raising it over and the Yale flag fell off. Um, and I have a pretty cool picture of that too, with the, the flag like floating down off my back and me ho- holding the trophy over. So it was pretty, pretty incredible. Who handed it to you, Gus? Um, I actually can't even remember who handled it to me. I think it was rude. It was definitely someone from my class. Right. Um, but I, what, what I remember from it was, uh, pretty funny. I remember after, uh, my brother Colin making fun of me. Cause if you look at my picture, the close up with it, I'm actually holding it like it's the Stanley Cup. I have it sideways. <laughs> Which I think, if you look at it, a lot of guys on the team did. Like, I think you're right. He kind of held it sideways like it was the Stanley Cup instead of straight up. <laughs> um, so he kind of made fun of me for that, and I still have that picture. Um, but yeah, it was the same thing. It was just emotions through the roof. You kind of, Malcolm just said it perfectly. You kind of had this daze, just this gaze on your face, kind of looking off into the distance because you don't really know how to react. But yeah, it was definitely, definitely a whirlwind. My header on Twitter is a picture, an unbelievable picture that I guess someone in the media took of Anthony holding it, and you can tell that he's got his arms spread out in a way that he's obviously holding it like the Stanley Cup as well. So, yeah, yeah, I think that that was probably the uh, probably the way. There's another really cool video on the internet of you guys kind of walking into the locker room. I don't know if you guys have seen it. The president and his wife walk down the hallway and. And uh, it's, it's a pretty cool video. Uh, what do you guys remember about leaving the ice and, and going into the locker room? I mean, what's the locker room? What is the locker room like after you win the national championship? <laughs> um, yeah, like after we get all our pictures of the classes and stuff like that, we bring it in. I forget who brought it in. Probably Andrew. He, he wouldn't let that. Yeah, I think go. it was Miller. <laughs> yeah. Um, but in, inside the locker room, like it was just chaos. There's, like, I don't know who, who some of the people were, were in there celebrating with us. Um, there's alumni rolling in that are half cut and stuff like that. Um, <laughs> and I, I think, I think Keith, Keith tried to kick everyone out just so he could like talk to us. I, I think I remember that. And like the Kenny boys. I do remember there. that actually. Yeah. 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 He's like, just trying to, trying to, you know, congratulate us as, as a, as a team and stuff like that. And Joe Maurer's just off his rocker, you know, he's terrible <laughs> running around and stuff. So, <laughs> no. Do you, did you, either of you guys have to go out to the official press conference? Like where you know where the yeah, desk I was, had to. You had yeah, to. it was the seniors, right? I think it was the seniors. Yeah, yeah. Keith Keith wanted the, all the seniors out there with him. I think. 
What do you remember about that, Jeff? Anything interesting happened there? Uh, not really. No. I think Andrew said it best that like um, all year we knew we knew the team we had and we just kept it inside, like in the locker room. Um, didn't really matter what the outside noise was saying, and that's that's a, a product of Keith and his environment that he he had for us. Um, and and I remember Keith saying um, he just had that smile on his face, and I think he had it for the next year or whatever. But um, just just like one word answers, just smiling though. So and I don't think he's ever done that in a press conference before. Right. I mean, he's <laughs> such a. I mean, we could just talk about that for a second. I mean, Keith can be such a stoic guy. Was it a different Keith that night? Um, I mean, yes, it was. Obviously, he was pretty ecstatic, and he he was obviously pretty emotional after the game too, as I think we all were. Um, but at the same time, though, I think he was also pretty pretty similar to himself. I remember uh, when we got back to the to the hotel, and guys were having a couple pops in the in the lobby. I think he went and was with his family most of the night, whereas a lot of the other assistants were kind of down with us to the wee hours of the morning. So he's, he's definitely always been that type of guy, but I mean, what a coach. <laughs> what, if anything, do you guys remember about the next two months? <laughs> like, <laughs> like, is there a, po- I guess, hold on. This is what I'm asking. Is there a postscript for either of you guys? Like, like, okay, you won the national championship. You got the trophy. You're in the locker room. You're in the press conference. You celebrate with your families at the hotel that night. You know, you get back to school. You have a little party there, right at the rink. I remember watching the video of that. But like, is there something that is interesting from either of you as kind of a postscript that happens that that month at school or at Myrtle or sometime in the next few weeks or, or months? Jeff, you got anything? Uh, yeah. So, Balshi and I we were in a senior seminar. Um, about the UN, um, and Mr. Beckett had to go to bat for us. Um, our, our professor, our professor, because we we'd miss so much with the regionals and stuff like right. that. And if like you've missed two classes, you fail. So um, the athletic director had to go to bat for us because the professor she literally sat us down and said, "Well, do you guys have to go like to the national championship on the Thursday or Wednesday whenever we left?" Because um, that was when our seminar was happening, and we're like, "Well, yeah, we have to go." Like. <laughs> we're not not gonna go um so mr beckett had to go to bat for us and uh like she she really wanted to fail us out of that out of that or uh, that class or whatever but luckily enough we we both graduated and fairly but we did <laughs> what about you Gus? yeah i mean i think the probably the easiest way to describe uh that spring was it was definitely my my lowest GPA term of all four years at school. Um, <laughs> so, but yeah, kind of like what I mean. You get it also get it both ways. There was obviously a lot of a lot of support throughout uh, throughout the university. A lot of a lot of professors were were definitely thrilled for us and thought it was an amazing thing. But yeah, you definitely had uh, had one or two actually had experience with it the the next season with uh, Agostino Rue and actually Day, um, where they're not always on board with us. <laughs> you know, for me, I'm a big I'm a big banner guy. Like, I love banners. I just think they're super cool. I love as soon every year when someone wins a Super Bowl. Like, you know, I'm super interested to see who they're gonna play at, at, on banner night on that Thursday game. You know, when like when the Saints won this one, big Saints fan, Saints won the Super Bowl. I'm like, oh, I wonder who the banner night 
team is going to be and not be in Minnesota. Um, and all summer, I was so pumped for Banner Night. And Jeff, of course, you had moved on. You were a senior. You couldn't be there. We missed you that night for sure. But I got to ask you, Gus, like, what do you remember about Banner Night and kind of the first time you seen the banner and unveiling the banner and Banner Night in general? Uh, we didn't know what to expense. Uh, with the, the way Ingalls, like the rank, um, like we didn't know what type of sort of what direction they were going to go in with the banner. Um, you have like we not even until my senior year we didn't even have advertisements on the side of our boards, so we didn't know sort of what they were going to have up for banner night, how big of a celebration it was going to be. But uh, I think if anyone has ever been to Ingalls, uh, it definitely does it justice. It's it's pretty big, it hangs around <laughs> almost across the whole rank. Um, so obviously like. I think that way. I think we played St. Lawrence that first period. Um, it was probably a little tougher for us to get our legs there, but um, I think I would take that trade off any day. Right. Yeah, that's a that's a that's a fun weekend. Some of my favorite weekends ever at at Ingles. Last thing, you know, I remember, I remember the night that when Anthony was a senior and they lose game three to Harvard in double overtime, and I remember everyone coming up the stairs, and at that point. Uh, the perception was that they were they were probably not making the tournament, that they were out. Like, I think I was the only one in the rink, and I'm being honest about this, that knew they weren't out. It was about 3%, but I knew that they weren't out. I was, nobody wanted to hear that, but they all came up the stairs, and, like, I, I've never seen my brother really like that in his whole life. You know, they were all pretty upset. And I remember taking him over to the banner and, like, saying, like, this is this is here forever, and I remember that night. And I want to I want to talk to you guys about this one on this. I remember talking to Charles Orzetti of all people at upstairs at a bar where everyone was at the um, after that Harvard game, and uh, I remember saying to him, "When you go to Yale, like when you show up at Yale, when you're freshman, you show up that day and you move into whatever dorm you're going to move into, the chances of you leaving." that campus as an immortal are slim to none. I mean, slim to none. And you guys, you, what, 27 or 28 guys, managed to leave a school like Yale as as Yale immortals. I mean, that banner will be there forever. For an Ivy League team to win a national championship in 2013 is nuts. And every year, it gets more nuts to think it could happen again. Maybe they win three more. Maybe they win four more. I don't know. Maybe they never win one again, but I do know that the twenty thirteen the guys on the twenty thirteen team are immortals. And if you think about that day you got there, the odds of leaving Yale, Yale, as immortals were pretty slim. I mean, yeah, I guess I'll start. I mean, obviously, yeah. I mean, it's low. You think about it, even thinking about it back right now, it's, uh, it's definitely a crazy feeling. Um, I do remember on my recruiting trip uh, to Yale, um, I meet with Elaine, and uh, he knew like the other two schools that we're looking at were Ivy League schools. And I remember sitting down with him, and he said to me, looked me straight in the eye, and said, um, "If you want to win the national championship, come to Yale University." And they, like when you're recruiting with other Ivy League schools, there was no other coach or no other program who really kind of like gave that message or I felt gave that message where you can come here and do something special like that. 
Whereas you're not just coming here to play hockey on the side with an Ivy League education. And that was, Elaine was the main reason why I chose Yale. And I just remember to be able to actually fall through on something like that until I leave school. Uh, one of my favorite uh, buildings of Yale is going to Maury's, that little bar there. And they have the, they have like a mini banner uh, up in that back bar there. They have a picture stick with us. And to be able to have that there forever is, Definitely sound, but it's pretty special. Absolutely. And, like, you know, my story is a little bit different than younger. It's just coming from Western Canada, um, a junior program that really hadn't produced anything, um, going down there and making an impact at, at an Ivy League institution. Like, it, to this day, it still boggles my mind that, that I have that, that education and um, we reached the pinnacle of college hockey. Like, and Keith always talks about it, um, and he always says, like, um, we try and uh, you, you can compete um, at the, the best level of hockey um, and go to the best school, one of the best schools in the world. Like he always says stuff like that. So um, yeah, to be up exactly. there and to be a part of, uh, be a part of, of, of that year and stuff like that. Like every time I go back, back to New Haven, I always make a point of going back to Ingalls and looking, looking up at that banner that, that we helped you know raise. So, um, it's a pretty incredible feeling from however many miles away I am right now. So you know, as I've went through this and and interviewed, you know, it's it's eight guys, eight players on the team. And I've done my best to kind of keep myself out of it because I had nothing to do with it. It's fun to share a story about trying to knock Anthony's coffee out of his hand, you know, or whatever with you guys. But that was a hard spring for me, a really hard spring for me. And the run you guys made. I don't know, it had an impact on me that I can't explain. And the reason I did this, this five-year project, is because I didn't want five years, the five-year anniversary to pass without somebody doing something pretty extraordinary to commemorate it. And since you guys are on the last show, you guys are the ones that I get to really say thank you to because it meant so much in my life. So thank you. Steve, like... You, your fa- like, you know, everyone, all the support we had over those four years, and Gus, you can, you can attest to this too. But like, you guys were just as much a part of it. Um, I know my brother was there, younger, your brother was there, my brother was being an idiot. I'm sure everyone was. Um, just the support, like, we wouldn't, we wouldn't be able to, to, you know, raise that banner without our families and and the the families of our teammates, right? Um, it's it's still an incredible um, story, so you were just as much of a part of it as, as all of us. So, well, thanks. Exactly. Boys. My, my, yeah, I guess I think my favorite part of the, of the whole night, to be honest is, um, and I think Clinton Bourbon, still has a video of it. Um, we're coming off the bus, uh, to the hotel and the place is jam packed. There's like people came and fit inside the hotel lobby because of how many of our families and friends are there. We'll be able to come off, come off the bus to that support um us not only allows you guys to celebrate that with us but shows how much you guys were a part of that as well that's something we obviously never forgot during the run and never will forget yeah what i remember about that make it as special right what i remember about that moment about you guys coming off the bus is there were so many people and it was so crowded right there that i kind of got backed into a corner and i didn't even see anthony get off the bus so I didn't actually see him for the first time until we were inside the hotel. Because, yeah, that was so 
packed and hectic. And actually, my sister-in-law has a really good video of that too. I can send it to you guys because she has a really good video of that of that moment too. So, but listen, thank you so much for this. It's really fun to hear you guys recall. It's cool that you know this is the the championship game. So you guys got the big one. Um, so it's really fun to do this. And uh, thank you so much. Either of you guys have anything else you want to add? No, thanks, Steve. Well, I appreciate you doing this. This is great. All right, yeah, thank you. It was definitely it was, it was special to look back on it. I really made my day, so thank you. All right, Jeff, Malcolm, thank you. Gus Young, thank you. Thank you. Our next guest needs no introduction. He's making his first appearance on the Sportscasters today. When you come on the Sportscasters and you played hockey at Yale, you get the Yale fight song. So it's not a repeat. There's not much I could say that could express how excited I am about this. Our next guest played goalie for Yale and in 2013 coached Yale to its first national championship. A warm Sportscasters welcome to head coach Keith Elaine. Thank you so much for joining me today, Keith. How are you? I'm great, thanks. How are you doing today? Doing really good. I've been having a lot of uh, a lot of fun with this project. You know, when you sit down and you actually take the time to interview eight guys from the 2013 national championship team, it's uh, it's not that hard to to realize why the team was so successful. They're just all such such great guys. No, it was a very special group, and uh, obviously it was a special time for us, but. Uh, to see the way that team developed through the course of the year, um, how much they cared about each other and played for each other, um, it was really heartwarming. When we did part one, and, and I talked to to Jesse and Kenny, they kind of had the uh, they kind of had the job of, of of starting before the tournament and kind of giving some context to the documentary. But one thing we talked about with them was the trip to Denver over Thanksgiving, being away together for Thanksgiving dinner, and and winning those two games. Was that the time maybe as a coach, you and your staff kind of looked at each other and said, this is a team that can beat anybody? Oh, well, there's no question about it. I mean, it was, a, it was a perfect trip in so many respects. You know, uh, a Yale alum who is a friend of mine is a student here, uh, was a member of the Denver Country Club. So he arranged for us to, uh, they have an outdoor rink to practice in their outdoor rink and then have Thanksgiving dinner. Um, in this really cool private room uh, the night that we arrived in Denver. So that the, the trip got off to a great start that way. Um, and then, uh, you know, I think Denver was ranked two or three in the nation at the time, and in Colorado College was ranked eight or nine. Uh, and to win both of those games in overtime uh, in altitude told me a lot about the, the conditioning level and the, and the fight in our team, and I think it went a long way towards building a championship team. Are unique opportunities like that, like when you see something like, wow, we're going to be together as a team on Thanksgiving, we're going to be able to have Thanksgiving together as a team, are those the kind of things that a, that a coach kind of circles in his mind and says, yes, I'm going to get something out of this that's just unique, something I know I'm not going to normally be able to do in a, in a given season? Are those the kind of things that coaches just almost kind of dream of in some way? Right, being too oh, absolutely. romantic. absolutely, and I think – no, you're not at all. And I think when we plan trips like that, that's our goal. Um, you know, the, the thing is, is you, <clears throat> you don't always achieve your goal. Um, and as I said, uh, that Thanksgiving dinner uh, at the country club there 
um, kind of came out of the blue after the trip was planned. A friend of mine called me, saw that we're out there and, and offered his services. And um, I think that uh, anytime you can get away from Yale or from whatever school you're at during a, a break where there's no classes and get the guys together in that kind of an environment, uh, it goes a long way towards team building. It was an interesting season because you guys were so strong on that trip. You actually played Boston College after uh, Christmas time and, and really should have. It was a 3-3 three to three tie in the end, but really played an, an excellent game that night and should have won. It kind of let, let them off the hook a little bit to, to make it a tie. And then there's that point where, where Jeff Malcolm's injured and you guys have a skid, but then you... Then you bounce back right after that with a with five wins in a row and an absolutely dominating, dominating uh, playoff performance against St. Lawrence. Can you talk a little bit about the ups and downs, and then kind of your thoughts after St. Lawrence and what your perspective was as best you can remember going into Atlantic City? Yeah, I can remember that there were lots of ups and downs. I mean, we had a great start. I thought we had a really good team. Uh, when Malice went down, we lost five in a row. And the the strange thing that happens, right, when your goaltender goes down, all of a sudden your team can't score. Um, nice. I think we got shut out in a couple of games and only scored one goal in a couple. And uh, obviously things didn't look, look great for us. Um, and then the second he gets back, we start winning again. And uh, it's funny you point to that St. Lawrence series because that was, a you know, outside of the Denver trip, that was another time when I said to me, hey, this team could be special because – it was a it was a decent St. Lawrence team that came down here and uh, and they didn't touch the puck in two games. It was uh, it was quite a performance by our guys and it made me think that uh, there was something extra in the tank with this group. And then of course you get to Atlantic City and you know it's it's one of those weekends I think is going to just go down in Yale hockey history as who knows what happened there kind of a thing. I, I don't want to get into it too much, but I do want to ask you about something specific there because I've talked to the guys about this and, and it's something that they that they absolutely love and um, I don't know I, I gotta ask you because you're, you're the man who made it happen after the Quinnipiac game the loss there's a mandatory press conference that you skip and I know some of the guys in the media were pretty upset about it but when you talk to the players it's one of those like Keith Elaine is the best coach in the nation type of moments. <laughs> like they, when when I talk to my brother about that, it, he just like his eyes light up. Like, oh man, when Keith does things like that, it just it just makes us feel a certain way, and almost like they can't describe it. So I guess I get the chance to ask you. You know, was that something you calculated? Was it just something as simple as you, you didn't know and you just got on the bus without knowing about it? Or what do you remember about the uh, the infamous um, Athletic it, City presser? Yeah, well, I, I mean, I, I was irate, to be honest with you. <laughs> you know, and, and, and maybe you know, maybe what, what resonates with the guys is, is, is my personality and, and what it was. But I was, I, you know, if you look back on that series, I mean, Union absolutely spanked us. And they were just so good, I couldn't believe how good they were in that game. Right, and then right. in the Quinnipiac game, yeah, in the Quinnipiac game, I thought we played well enough to win and should have won, but there were a couple of calls in that game and some goals disallowed, and, and I was really upset with our league at the time and uh, and didn't want to dignify it by going to the press conference. And uh, luckily our athletic director was in the locker room, and I just said to him, Tom, I'm not going to the press conference, and he said, I'm behind you 100%. So it was uh, – 
um, it was just I didn't want to face the media and talk about my feelings uh, about the way that uh, championship was run by the PAC, to be perfectly honest with you. This is kind of a sidebar, but as a coach, are you glad that they've done away with that that third-place game? That was more harm than good, right, that game? Yeah, it was more harm than good, and I think that was the impetus for it. You know, I mean, as a league, you know, you you want to you want as many teams in your league as possible to make the tournament. And I think that they went back historically and found out that that game hurt more teams than it helped. And so, what was the point of playing it? Right. So that game puts you guys on the bubble, and uh, yeah. And it ends up where it comes down to that Michigan Notre Dame game. Now I got to t- the guys all went to Wild Wings, and it's 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 maybe another one of those moments, right? Where just by circumstance they're all together, and um, Jesse uh, and uh, Jesse was one of the guys who was most most adamant about how special he thought that was. What did Keith Elaine do during that game? And uh, <laughs> And what was going through your mind as uh, Notre Dame ended? Notre Dame needed to end a 23-year streak that Michigan had going for you guys to get into the tournament. But I want to know what you were doing. Obviously not at Wild Wings, but what were you doing and what was going through your mind? No, I was was at home. I didn't watch the game. I checked it online, you know, every half hour or so. I, I think I was resolved to the fact that if we deserved to get in the tournament, we would get in. And if we didn't, we wouldn't. And, uh... Um, but I can honestly say that as the game went on and I was checking it, I became more and more excited. And uh, and my resolve that we deserved whatever we got turned into a, like a, a strong desire to to have the result go our way so we could play some more. Yeah, you know, my, my brother was at Yale for four years, and he was on the NCAA tournament bubble, two of them. And, you know, that, that first one is an example of you guys – Entering the tournament championship tournament weekend with huge odds to make it and kind of things going wrong and almost missing it. Where two years later, you guys literally cashed a three percent chance going into to championship weekend. So the life on the life of the pairwise can be a uh, can be a crazy road. If you, you can even ask Minnesota about that this year, right? So yeah no it's a fine line yeah. and, I, and i think and i think as a coach and, and as a competitor um i'm glad it comes down to numbers rather than a group of guys in a smoke-filled room trying to decide who they think the more deserving teams are you know it's decided on the ice and the numbers are what they are and um you know you you can't argue with that you know you either you deserve to make it by your play or you don't yeah and we could be guilty of cherry picking a little bit here but you look back at like the game against Colgate, uh, where Josh Ball scores a goal in overtime because the puck hits a broken stick on the ice, and he's able to jam it in. And there was a famous, uh, now famous story told on this documentary that you had already thrown your gum out on the ice. Uh, <laughs> and uh, I was telling I was telling Jesse that story, and he said, "Yeah," and he probably kicked kicked the back dashers by then too. So, I mean, you know, you just look at little well, moments like that. It's like, well, maybe, you know, if Josh doesn't score that goal, you guys don't have the pair of eyes to sneak in maybe, you know, so. No, absolutely right. And, you know, I actually still have that stick in my office. Andrew Miller broke his stick and it was left in the right spot. But, that, you know, that year we won the championship. We won seven games in overtime that year. Right. Um, you know, and I think that's a testament to the conditioning level of our guys and the fact that you need some breaks to go your way to be a champion. When you seen the draw, what was your what was your thought? 
do you care much about where you're going and who you're playing or what, what, what? I didn't care much about it, but uh, Dan Muse, one of our assistant coaches, was at a um, he was at a, at a recruiting event, and uh, when they when they announced the draw, he was there with a Minnesota assistant, and he called me immediately, and we kind of used this a little bit because the Minnesota coach, he could tell, was thrilled to death that they had gotten Yale as a draw. So um, we used that a little bit to our advantage. Now, Kenny Agostino, the next time you see him, you have to tease him. He called it the WNHL. But he said, for some reason, you know, we always had really good success against the WNHL teams. What is it, do you think, about <laughs> – what is it, do you think, about uh, about about your teams that, that has had so much success with uh, with teams from the, uh, as Kenny calls it, the WNHL? Um, I, I think there's, uh, you know – First of all, we've had good teams. You know, you can't you can't win without good players and good teams. But I also think there's a heightened awareness when you're playing an opponent that's got a, a track record of a North Dakota or a Minnesota um, that have been in multiple tournaments that kind of heightens your awareness and gets you on your toes a little bit and, and, and maybe makes you a little bit more excited to compete. You talked about how you use the uh, the uh, the Minnesota assistant thing. Do you go up to a guy like Tommy Fallon and say, hey, Tommy, we're playing Minnesota this week. Did they did, did they recruit you? Is that I mean, is that something you use? Do you use? Because I <laughs> no, know we didn't go that far. <laughs> okay. we, we didn't go that far. We we, we talked about. I, I can remember the Tuesday, which was our first practice together. We showed video of Minnesota, and we talked about how we were the matchup that they wanted because they thought we were going to be an easy out, and so it was more of a team thing rather than an individual thing. But I'm sure guys like Tommy. Uh, had special motivation to try to beat the Gophers. Absolutely. Uh, that game starts to nothing. Kenny scores a, a beautiful goal, on a snapshot after a, a beautiful pass by Andrew Miller coming through the new, coming through the zone there, and uh, Gus Young gets a power play goal. It's two nothing going into the third, and then they have their best period of the game. They get two goals back. Uh, you guys hang on a little bit the last six minutes. Do you go into the locker room there feeling like you let him off the hook? Or as a coach, are you feeling like, hey, I would have signed up for this. 2-2, we're going into overtime, and we got a chance to knock off the number two seed in this tournament. What was kind of your mindset well, in between? Well, certainly the latter, you know. Yeah. Um, excited about getting get overtime with them. Um, you know, I guess the, there was a little bit of concern because – that third period was, was Minnesota's best period of the game. And as it turned out, it was our worst period of the whole tournament. Um, you know, and they, they were a pretty good team. And I think people are thinking, okay, Yale come out and shocked them a little bit. But now the, now the, the, the true colors of the Gophers are showing through and they're just better. Um, so I think it, you know, uh, all those things go through your mind as a coach and you try to instill confidence in your team. And, uh, you know, obviously we, we made short work of the overtime. Well, I know we don't have all day, but I, I'm confident we can talk about the entire overtime. Uh, <laughs> where did you, where uh, take me through? Take me through all nine seconds. What you remember about it? Well, it's funny because I, you know, I had some people have said to me, "Oh, good, good face-off play," and I'm thinking we lost face-off. <laughs> you know, I mean, that's you don't design that. I think what 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 the real essence of the goal to me was the habits that were instilled in our guys we lost the face off but we pursued the puck and pressured their defensemen 
the way that we do all year long. And, uh, and we forced a turnover and, uh, we had Kenny in the right spot and, and he finishes the play before they even knew the overtime had started. Did, but did I just think it? that was, that was because of the habits we created all year long. Did you see it? Yeah, I saw it. You saw it. Cause I mean, you, you talk to so yeah. many people and they're like, Oh, well I had was still drinking water, or stretching or not. I mean, you know, it happened so quick. Uh, I think it was Jesse that mentioned that you guys had switched up a four check, uh, the way you had f- you switched a four check pretty late in the year, and that's the reason that Kenny was hunting down that puck, and also the reason that he was where he is. If that that game's maybe earlier in the year, the four check is different. Is that that something um, that you remember as well? Jesse's right about that. Yeah. You know, we switched up our four check when we were in that five game losing streak without Malks. I just felt like the guys needed something to grab onto. You know, um, things weren't going our way, so we decided to switch up our four check and. Um, obviously it paid dividends for us down the stretch. Um, and so he's absolutely right that, uh, that pursuit wouldn't have been the pursuit we would have been in, in, in January even. Now your teams had had in the tournament success in that first game, but it was the quote unquote elite eight that had given you guys a lot of trouble. Uh, first of all, when you find out it's Niagara, what, or excuse me, when you find out North Dakota beats Niagara, what are your first, first thoughts? And as a coach, how do you prepare the team in such a small amount of time to get ready to play what is now essentially the biggest game of, the, of your season? Um, well, I think we I think we had assumed that they would beat Niagara. Um, but when we go into a tournament like that, um, you know, we divide up the responsibilities of the coaching staff. So uh, um, I think I think Red had North Dakota and uh, Danny had Niagara, and obviously I had Minnesota. So the, so we had a scout in place. Uh, we went back and, you know, we watched the game, their game, their most recent game, because we hadn't been able to see that. And, uh, but then we prepared like it was any other Saturday game, which is kind of what we do all year long, because we have a different opponent on Saturday night than we do Friday nights in our league. Right. Right. And, uh, yeah. Right. Exactly. Uh, that game is, is one where, and I just watched it the other day. You guys played such a fantastic game. They, but an interesting thing about it is, they changed goalies from the first game. Uh, did you notice that right away? And, and what were your thoughts that, you know, suddenly they're playing a different goalie than they started the weekend with? Well, we knew that they had some questions in goal going down the stretch. So we weren't sure who we were going to get on that second night. So, uh, but we knew there was some questions to who might go. Um, and, uh, you know, for me, th- that game, and, and the whole rest of the tournament, what, what I'm most proud of is, you know, we were the underdog team, but it wasn't like, you know, we needed a big break or a goalie to save the day, you know, steal a game. You know, I thought we were the better team in every game we played in the tournament. And uh, in that game, we were clearly the better team. Yeah, an unbelievable third period. I mean, Saunders had really held them in the game uh, for a large part of it. it. You know, I remember watching, thinking like, Man, who know their backup goalie was Dominic Hasek? You know, like my God, this guy. <laughs> and uh, and then it was, you know, the, the tournament to a large part. And obviously, Jesse Rook gets the game-winning goal. We hear so much about, and, and you know, rightfully so, the uh, Jesse, Kenny, and Andrew line and how fantastic they were. And uh, on a power play, Jesse Rook did get the game winner. But the first and third goal comes from uh, Anthony, Stu Wilson, and Josh Balsh. Uh, making some plays, yep. and uh, I thought that yep. that team was always its best when you would get in a great rhythm 
of flowing those four lines, and it was like the team would just come at come at you in waves that the forecheck just never ended. It was so relentless. And I thought this game was a really good example of that. And um, you know, the first uh, the first goal of tied Anthony. Uh, score uh assist on what he calls the Keith Lane goal where he's throwing it at the net. He can hear you in his head, get a puck on the net and, and Josh buries uh buries a rebound. And then the third goal is uh you know, I've seen Anthony play hundreds of games, Keith, and it might be the best play he ever made where it almost looks like he's coming downhill at that defenseman and he shrugs him off and in one stride starts a two on one, makes a good decision to shoot and then Stu Wilson uh, buries it on the back door. What do you remember about that goal? And uh, maybe just to speed things along, the kind of the way the team scored the goals and the four lines and the relentless, relentlessness that I talked about. Well, I think you're right. I mean, we we were able to go at team wave after wave. It's a good description of it, and and that was the way that we wanted to play the game. And you know, the one great thing about that line was their tenacity and their speed. And all three guys had great speed, and and I'm a firm believer that that when you you put pressure on teams with speed, um, good things happen for you. And uh, you know Anthony made a great individual effort on that goal, but again we've got guys going to the net for the rebound. Right. You know too. it's it's part of what they it's what they do exactly. Always yeah. going and and I remember Ball. She was playing with a broken hand. Yep. Um, I don't know if you were aware of that. Yeah, he but, talked uh, about that. Yeah. You know for. For him to give us that kind of life, just to play in the game and, and to get that big goal, I, I could just sense that that North Dakota had no answer for that for the kind of relentless pressure that uh, not our top line, but our second, third, and fourth line was able to apply on them shift after shift. And finally, in that third period, we, we wore them down. You know, I, I talked about how you you know just a few years before this, you had a twenty-seven win team. Uh, First, first overall seed in the tournament and lose to the eventual national champions. You lost in the Elite Eight before. As a head coach, was there just a sense of relief, like, finally I got this, finally I'm taking a team to the Frozen Four? Was there a sense of relief that night, you felt? Or was it I all work? I didn't feel relief. I, I, I was just excited. Yeah. yeah. You know, and I, and I can remember being on the charter coming home. You know, I, I think my, my message to the guys, they were all there and they were obviously thrilled. And I said, hey, look at you guys have just done something that's very, very special. And no one will ever take it away from you. But if we win the next two, this is something that will be beyond special and you'll have for the rest of your lives. So enjoy this, but let's focus on the, on winning the whole thing. Um, and I just felt good about our group. And what makes this so special, I think, is, is the teams you beat. I mean, we start with Minnesota, go to North right. Dakota, and now you're, you're, you're playing the uh, Hockey East champion in season and playoff champion. And we talked about what a good game you guys played against North Dakota. I just watched this Massachusetts Lowell game. This might be the best game the L team has ever played. I mean, the, I, uh, the dominance, you can go ahead. I mean, I just, I, I, I forgot. I think I was so nervous just being there and, and over the course of that game that I almost didn't realize how fantastic you guys played from, Puck drop to uh, to Andrew Miller and the and the bow and arrow celebration. An unbelievable game played, I thought. I, I thought it was I, you know we did to Lowell in that game what they had been doing to teams all year long, uh, and they were they were dominant. And I, you know, I have a couple of vivid memories of that game. One was just that I felt like that we had them so much on the ropes, all they could do was ice the puck. 
and they iced it and iced it and iced it. And every time they iced it, I put fresh players out there and they had tired guys and I kept putting fresh players out. And, you know, that one, my fear in overtime was, you know, we're, you know, we've, we've been the best team all night long. It would be a crime to lose this game in overtime. Right. And I don't know if you remember, Coach, but they didn't get a shot the last nine minutes of the third. And overtime was seven <laughs> minutes. They didn't get a shot in overtime either. So 16 minutes of play, yeah, they no. didn't even get a shot. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, that game was not as close as the score. Yeah, Hollabuck, not a, not a big surprise to anyone who watched that game that he's, you know, starring for one of the best teams in the NHL this year. Uh, let's go yeah. through the overtime goal. It's such a fun one. Of course, the story that Jesse told is, he hurts a shoulder during the season, so he's wearing a jacket underneath, and he's cramping pretty bad. So that's the reason Carson Cooper's on the ice at that moment. Take me just through your view of Carson making the play there and then Andrew coming through the neutral zone and kind of what you saw and what you remember about it. Well, you know, um, Carson was one of our grittiest players, and he was one of those guys who we could play really in any role throughout the lineup. He could be on our fourth line or he could play with our top line players because he saw the game the right way. Um, and he just makes a great play finding Andrew. And, uh, you know, I think Andrew might be the best clutch hockey player that I've ever had here. Um, you know, I mean, he was so smooth. It was like when he got that puck and went in on the breakaway, it was like he knew before he received the pass that he was going to score the goal and beat that guy five hole. It was, uh, it was this play I remember. I'll remember for the rest of my life. All right. So now this has been a big topic through all four episodes of this show. You talked about how was it eight overtime wins in, uh, that year? Seven. Uh, seven. Yeah. Many years before. Have you ever had a player turn and hug you and not go and celebrate with the other players? <laughs> <laughs> Um, not that I remember, but the, I mean, the emotions were just so high. It was, uh, it was a special moment. And, uh, I have a photo of that, that hug from Anthony. And it's something that, uh, it just, it, it just felt right at the time. Okay. There wasn't part of you thinking like, is this kid sucking up for a letter or something next year? Like, <laughs> I don't think so. Okay. All right. No, not at that point in time. Okay. No. Like, geez, my, I got to bust his balls. You understand? Uh, yeah, I understand. Completely. All right. So it's Quinnipiac. Are you glad it's Quinnipiac? Yep. Yeah. I was glad it was Quinnipiac. You know, um, I just felt like we had played them three times during the year. We'd gotten better in each of the three games. And uh, I felt like they didn't know how good we were. And I felt like their coach would have a hard time getting his team to understand how good we were. And I thought that would be our edge. You know, the first period felt like there was even for a game where three te- the teams would play each other three times, a little bit of a feeling out period. You watch the second period, there's times where both teams look like they're going to break through. And then finally, uh, there's a draw of 15 seconds in the neutral zone. Is it a great example of the 2013 Yale Bulldogs? Is that goal a great example of kind of their attitude and the way they carried their business and the way they whereas we've said a couple of times in this conversation, we're always so relentless just with the way that play unfolds. Yeah, I think it was a great example because I think that they, our opponent quit on that goal. They thought yes. the time was going to run out um, and our guys we were, were trained to play right to the whistle. So, you know, the puck gets to Gus and, and he throws it at the net and Bob's is doing what he was has been taught to do and coached to do and, and did instinctively get to the front of the net. And, uh, um, you know, that goal, 
essentially was the game. And uh, I think it was a culmination of all the things that our guys have been doing for the last five months. Did, what, what, do you, what do you remember about walking back into the locker room after that goal? What, what was your mindset going into the third period? Did you say anything? Uh, were you quieter on purpose? Did you say more? Is that a different intermission than a normal one? Um, I, you know, I, I tried to be real consistent with all my intermissions, and I try to go in there and talk about three things that we need to do better uh, at and three things that we did really well. But I think deep down inside, I felt like that goal was going to be a difference maker. I felt it would change the way they tried to play. And, that we, you know, we were a pretty good counterpunch transition team, and it would open up some opportunities for us, and it did. Yeah, another transition goal, Orzetti. And, and this is another thing we talked yeah. about, the four lines, rolling the four lines, how relentless the team can be. Charles Orzetti makes a play. Coming up, the wing gets a shot, rebound, defenseman turns the wrong way. He gets a second shot, and it's mm-hmm. almost one of those that I got to think Hartzell's still wondering where it went. I know I, I am. You know, it's just like one of those. Yeah. It went in somehow. I'm not sure, but what do you remember about that goal? I mean, you know, the thing about hockey games is, is, that, is that very seldom do you score on the play that's your best offensive opportunity, you know, but if you're if you're consistent with what you do, and that's what we are, we get pucks to the net from the wing, and then we follow through, um, then good things are going to happen for you. And, uh, you know, that line uh, I put together after – after Atlantic City, I just wanted to get the three big guys together, and uh, and that line paid dividends for us as, as did all the other lines. Right, that was maybe their best game, the national championship game. Yeah, uh, yeah. The third goal is is uh, is a classic. It's Kenny Agostino's 100th point as a Yale Bulldog, mm-hmm. and he makes a uh, he makes a, a slick pass. He said he heard Andrew call for him, but didn't realize Andrew was behind everyone. Uh, and Miller gets it. Miller had. Uh, had maybe gotten stopped a few times uh, by Hartzell on breakaways. Real quickly, did you kind of feel – I mean, I think the book on Hartzell, if there is one, is that you can rattle him sometimes. Uh, that maybe – I think you know my brother played for him in juniors, and he even had said to me one time, we were having a discussion about it, he's like, you know, my son, it's a mental game for him sometimes. Did you feel like you guys had him rattled a little bit? Did you feel like the next chance? Was- I didn't feel like we had him rattled, but I, I feel like we, we had the whole team rattled more so than, than okay. one individual, you know? Yeah. I mean, the thing about that Frozen Four is, is, you know, we beat the two best goalies in college hockey. Right. Um, you know, I think that day, Hartzell was a finalist to final three for the yep. Hobie Baker. Um, and, and Hellebuck was, was the best goalie in his league and, and obviously has proven that he's, he's a fantastic goalie. So, um, you know, uh, both goaltenders we faced and that's that weekend were, were, were great college goalies. When you get up for nothing or, well, you know, we kind of breezed over Miller's goal real quick. Did you know it was cash when he's crossing the blue line? Say that again. When Miller's going uh, across the blue line, there, did you feel like he had like that was going to be cash? Or... Uh, I did. Yeah, yeah, I, yep, I, I did feel that way, and uh, and um, and then they pull their goalie for the fourth goal, right. as I recall. Yep, Jesse, Jesse, With seven minutes left. Yeah, and uh, and I can remember right across from where I was standing on the bench, I looked up and I saw my daughter Julia. And she's staring at me, and she's got her hands in the air. And I just kind of put my arms, let's just calm down. Seven minutes of hockey here left. Let's let's, let's relax. Um, but uh, 
it was certainly nice. I mean, the last five minutes of that game, when you know that you've got the thing in the bag and, uh, um, it was just a great way to be able to celebrate the national championship. Take me through just the last 10 seconds and I mean, as best you can describe how you felt and what you saw and, and what the, what the celebration was like. Uh, I, I guess for me, I, I felt a, a, a great sense of satisfaction, you know, as a coach, you're hard on guys all year long and you you tell them if they do this and they do this and they sacrifice, they'll get results. You don't always get it. Um, but to see the faces and the guys and uh, how excited they were, um, it just I was thrilled for them and, and thrilled to have been able to go through that, that whole, the whole season with that group of guys and to have them get reach their ultimate goal. Um, it was, it was really cool to be part of it. Uh, we talked about your press conference at Atlantic City. I got to ask you about Rands in Pittsburgh because it's been a point of contention over the years and maybe fuel for the rivalry, if nothing else. Uh, he said he thought that he made a point to say how he thought he had the best team, um, and it kind of it kind of came off as a little bit. I don't know. I don't. Know, I, I feel I feel like when I was talking to the guys, this question was a lot easier. When I'm talking to you, I'm trying to be a little bit more more respectful because I know this is one of your colleagues. But I guess I should just say it flat out. I mean, did you feel like Rand was a little disrespectful in his press conference, or is it something that just went um, over your head regardless? It, it, it went right over me. You know, yeah. I, I think the funny thing is, is is people people assume that I hate Quinnipiac, and uh, I don't walk around every day and think about the national championship. But whenever I see them or see their name in print or see Randy, you know, I actually, I get a little smile on my face because <laughs> it reminds, it reminds me of that group. It reminds me of a, of a beautiful spring night in Pittsburgh. And, uh, you know, that doesn't get old. So, uh, you know, they, they were able to, to bring to me one of the greatest memories I'll have in hockey. So how could you hate them? <laughs> do you think that that, do you think, and this is interesting. I, I talked to Anthony about this before. Do you think that the fact that you're their biggest rival, but really Harvard is your biggest rival, has given them a little bit of an edge over the years? Mm-hmm. Like, do you think that they're able to go to a place, you know, where they're able to find that hate in your in their hearts that gives them an edge in those games? Whereas for you guys, it's the Harvard games that bring out those emotions, or is that again more of a fan thing than a players and coaches thing? Um, you know, I don't know. I mean, obviously they've had some success with us, um, you know, and, and uh, um, over the years, and there's reasons for it. And you know, some years they've had success because they've had great teams, and other years they beat us with teams that I didn't think were that great. So uh, um, I think the bottom line for me as a coach, I, I have to do a better job of 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 helping our guys match that intensity. You know, I've always believed that you should treat every game like it's the most important game of the year. Um, and, uh, you know, I don't hype up the Harvard game, but, you know, there's a, uh, I mean, we're on the Yale campus and we've got Yale alums and we've got Harvard alums and, and uh, you know, that's a, that's a rivalry and a tradition that, that predates all of us. So uh, that is something that's very, very special and it's unique in college sports. Um, but, Personally, I would like my guys to play their best every single time they put that sweater on. All right, last thing, Coach. I'll let you out of here on this. A little bit of an anecdote. After the uh, the Harvard 
Yale Game 3 in 2015. Uh, all of the guys gathered upstairs at one of the at one of the bars there. And um, I walked over there with my brother. And, um, you know, the, the mood was very somber. Was the opposite, I guess, of what the mood would have been like if we would have done the same thing after yeah. the national championship game. And, and I was kind of working the room trying to keep everyone pumped up because I, I knew the, the pairwise situation. I knew it was grim, but I was trying to make it, you know, more than it was uh, to the guys. And uh, I, I stopped and talked to Charles Orzetti, who's not one of the players I had known very well. Maybe the first conversation I ever had with him. But I said to him, and I want to, and we'll get out of here on this to give your, me your opinion. Uh, I said to him, I said, you know, when you get dropped off here as a freshman at Yale, maybe the hardest thing to do is leave as a senior in Immortal. I mean, a college like Yale, I mean, it's John Kerry and, you know, George Bush or things like that, people that end up in that category. And even if you're not one of those guys, it's just it's such a legendary place. It's hard to show up as a freshman and leave the way you guys are going to leave as seniors. And he kind of got a smile on his face with something maybe he had never thought of. And I think I said something similar to my brother in front of the banner once. And it's just like, you know, this is hanging here forever. What do you th- what do you think the legacy of that group is, and 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 what do you think of every time you you see the banner that hangs at Ingalls for longer than we'll be here to to look and admire it? Yeah, I mean, I guess I think of excellence. Um, I think of moments during the season. You know, some of the ones that you brought up during this podcast. Um, I think about proving. I, I think about what I said at the press conference and I, and I meant it, you know, the day I got hired at Yale, I came back because I wanted to prove you could go to the best school in the world and still play hockey at the highest level. And it wasn't being done. And I think that group proves you can, you know, being a great student um, doesn't exclude the fact you can be a great athlete and play on a great team. And, and, you know, uh, and that Ivy league schools can compete for national championships and, uh, you know, hopefully that team will, will inspire another team in the future. Yeah. Uh, I have to ask you one more thing because I'd be awful at this if I didn't. I almost missed it. But is it extra special that it was able to happen before Tim Taylor passed away? Yes, it was. Um, and it, it was it was extra special because I had heard from him, you know, when we made, you know, I Timmy and I go way back, obviously, right. and I played for him and. You know, when I interviewed for the Yale job, um, on my way home, I stopped and met with him for three hours to see whether his opinion, whether I should take it or not. So we remained very close. And then I knew how sick he was because I'd seen him a couple of times in the spring. Uh, and his wife texted me when we made it to the Frozen Four, telling me that, uh, you know, Timmy was over the moon uh, with, with our achievement. And uh, he watched every second of the game. Then I tried to call him, and he was he was really sick at the time, so he wasn't taking phone calls. And then, uh, you know, one of the great pleasures was uh, two days after we won the thing, um, Jeff Torrey and, and uh, actually C.J. Maritola came with me, and we brought the trophy to Tim in his house. So uh, um, he, we got some pictures of him with the, with the championship trophy. That's amazing. That's amazing. That is great. Yeah. Yeah. Wow, thank you for that. Thank you for this. I'm, I'm going to be honest. You're you're somewhat of a somewhat of a mythical figure in my head. Like uh, 
I remember it. I remember <laughs> I remember at uh at the um it must have been the sports banquet graduation weekend, uh <laughs> kinda of standing uh, not that far from me thinking like Wow, should I say something to Keith? Nah, nah, I'll blow it. I won't, I'm not gonna say anything. I'm gonna blow it, you know. So, uh, thank you so much for this. I mean, I'm sure you've heard uh, everyone, you know, 25, 26 different stories about what the national championship meant to the players on the team and to their families. And I can tell you, it was an unbelievably tough winter and spring for me. And and this run meant everything. And uh, so, thank you so much, and thank you for doing this. I'm not sure how much time, Anthony asked you for but it was probably less than this so thank you so much for your patience uh, that's and, okay. and for answering everything i really appreciate it no i look forward to listening to the podcast anthony sent me uh a couple of the segments i haven't listened to them yet but uh i wanted to talk to you first so and good luck in your career thank Keith Elaine. I want to thank Gus Young. I want to thank Jeff Malcolm, Josh Balsh, Anthony Day, Kenny Agostino, Jesse Root. I want to thank all the players that were on the podcast today. And in a second, I'm going to make a tribute to all the players on the 2013 Bulldogs. I've kept this podcast pretty clean of plugs because I didn't really feel like it was about me or about this show. I always felt like it was about something bigger. But I do want to give a plug. If you enjoyed this, uh, maybe you will enjoy more of the podcasts I do. So you can follow me on Twitter, at sports underscore casters, for more information. And obviously you can subscribe on iTunes, you know, Apple Podcasts. My daughter Paula is here with me recording today. Uh, she often is a part of the podcast. Gives it a little bit of charm. Uh, someone prettier than myself on the show. It's always good. She's looking really hard, wondering why we're talking about her. Uh, what an honor that was to have Keith Elaine on the show. Uh, I want to thank my brother Anthony, really, for setting that up. Uh, wouldn't have happened uh, without him. Uh, at the end of my uh, podcasts, uh, what I usually do is something uh, I call One Last Thing. And uh, One Last Thing is just a chance for me to do just what it sounds like. Just say one last thing. And I thought... For today's one last thing, I haven't done one yet during this series, but I thought for today's, every player on this team deserved a mention. So I have the roster in front of me, and I'm going to go from the top to the bottom, give everyone a shout-out, share a story if I have one about the player, a quick anecdote, whatever comes to mind. Uh, we'll go through this quick. Top of the list, Kenny Agostino, my man from Flanders, New Jersey. He's not just a player on the team. He, he's like a fourth brother in my family. I love Kenny. Kenny was a big part of helping me get this going and keeping me excited about it. So thanks to Kenny. Josh Balsh from Illinois, USHL player, 5'9", 180, all heart. The overtime goal he scored against Colgate, you could argue, is the biggest goal before the tournament of the entire season. Uh, Matthew Beattie, a freshman at the time, didn't get to play a lot this season. Uh, but 
I remember uh, meeting his parents, really nice people at Ingalls, sitting with his dad one day during warm-ups. Um, Matt was actually on a line with Anthony one day, and we were talking about how we just really thought it was clicking and we're excited about it, wish they got to play together more. Uh, number 15, Clinton Bourbonnet scored one of the goals in the national championship game and is most famous maybe for wanting to know where the trophy was uh, on the ESPN broadcast. Carson Cooper, freshman from Alberta, made the uh, big play on the overtime goal in the Mass Lowell game. Uh, once was hanging out at the hockey house, and Carson was dressed as a penguin and was crying. Uh, Anthony Day, my brother, number 19. Uh, thank Huge thank you to him for everything he did to help. I wouldn't have got any of these interviews except for maybe Kenny on my own, uh, maybe Gus. So huge thanks uh, to Anthony for that. Colin Duick, number 21, from Calgary, Alberta. Fascinating guy to me. I know so little about him. I'd love to know more. If, you know, if you're listening to this, Colin, give me an email to sportscasters at gmail.com. Say hello. Uh, Colin Duick played huge minutes in a defensive uh, defenseman role and also scored a goal in, in the uh, Boston College game. Tommy Fallon, sophomore, uh, really played well in this tournament. Uh, I thought his skating... Uh, when I had Sabre season tickets a few years before this, I used to love to just go to the warm-ups and watch uh, Brian Campbell skate. And same thing with Tommy. I just love to go to warm-ups at Ingles and watch him skate. Uh, Matt Killian, number seven, started at defense, made a move to forward. That's so hard to do. Uh, and really played well in the tournament, especially in the uh, Mass Lowell game. Got a shout-out from one of his guys for making a move. Uh, and helping number 28, Antoine Lagunier. Don't think I ever had a conversation with Lagunier. Tall guy, pretty intimidating from Quebec. Um, number 12, Cody Learned uh, from Amherst, New Hampshire. Only New Hampshire player on the team. Embodies Yale hockey. Just the heart he played with eventually uh, won the MVP at the uh, first ever rivalry on ice at Madison Square Garden. All heart. All heart. Jeff Malcolm, goalie, Lethbridge, Alberta. Talked to him on the show. Played the game of his life and the biggest game of his life. Uh, Jeff Mar- or excuse me, Nick Marichich, California, made the transition from roller hockey to ice hockey. Filled in as best he could for Jeff when he was hurt. Also was a starter on this team in years past. A really a good asset to hockey. Number 17, Andrew Miller. Uh, we didn't mention in this at all for some reason that his assist on the Jesse Root empty net goal was the... Uh, Record-setting assist for the all-time leader and assist at Yale. Maybe the best defenseman in the history of Yale, Rob O'Gara, Long Island, New York, playing for the Rangers now. Just huge minutes he played as a freshman. You knew he was a stud from the beginning. I think he won the Defensive Player of the Year award like three times or something insane. Uh, Ryan Obukowski, a 6-1 defenseman, another freshman defenseman that contributed like crazy on this team. A uh, really nice dad, his brother, brother. His brother was, uh, you know, probably in the All Brothers Club. There's a lot of brothers. Uh, Jeff's brother, Ryan's brother, Carson's brother. Um, I'm gonna leave some out, but uh, brothers were everywhere on this team. A lot of brothers. Uh, Charles Orzetti uh, scored the big goal. If he would have jumped a little hard, he would have landed on my lap. Uh, most breaking down the glass. I remember talking to Charles 
after the loss to Harvard a few years later. I think we told that story already. Number 20, Jesse Root from Pittsburgh. Uh, Jesse was actually at my stag. So thanks to Jesse for being there. Uh, Trent Ruffalo from Florida. Uh, Trent, maybe the ugliest, almost looked homeless in his playoff beard and long hair, I'm sure. His mother was so happy when he cut that down. Just a fierce force in front of the net was Trent Ruffalo. Alex Ward from Vermont. Maybe the only Vermont player. Paul, very excited about Alex Ward. Uh, just a nice kid. Uh, always very kind to me. Nicholas Weberg from Norway. Another brother. Uh, it's like kind of like part of the family. It was at my brother Greg's wedding. One of my brother's best friends on the team. Injured. He deserved to be out there. Uh, I'm sorry he was injured. Always dealing with injuries at Yale. Injuries just no fair. Connor Wilson, a goalie from North Carolina. One of the nicest kids on the team. Always loved pulling up a chair next to Connor and talking to him about the USHL days. He was great at that. Number six, Stu Wilson from Rochester, New York. Always, yeah, always rode with Anthony uh, home. His dad is the coach of RIT, which everyone knows. And uh, one of my best friends growing up played at Elmira, and there was a big hockey rivalry between RIT and Elmira before RIT went D1. And, uh, I got to talk to uh, Mr. Wilson about those games when we were celebrating the national championship. Mick, Mitch Wittick, another failure of mine. I forgot to mention that this kid scored his first ever college hockey league goal in the NCAA tournament. How cool is that? What a great way to get your first ever college hockey goal. So congratulations to Mitch. We should have talked more about that. I didn't even know. Did he get the puck? I don't know. I don't know what happened. Uh, it's a failure of mine in this. And number two, Gus Young. Uh, Gus is a guy that I can just text on my own on the team. There's a few of those. I feel like he's a friend of mine, and I appreciate his friendship. And also, he's one of my favorite Yale hockey players to watch uh, over the four years. So that's one last thing, and that's this thing that I did. And I hope I did. I hope I did the players justice. You know, this is really for them. Uh, I felt like in my mind that this couldn't pass. This this moment couldn't pass without somebody doing something. Uh, so I wanted to do this. Uh, this is how I how I did it, and uh, I hope I did them. I hope I did them justice. I hope I cut myself out of it. I tried not to get too too out there. You know, I, I told some stories here and there about myself, but I even left a huge piece of this pie, in my opinion, out just because I didn't want it to be about me. I wanted it to be about Yale hockey and the players, and I, I hope I accomplished that. So thanks to everyone who's listened. I really appreciate it. Thanks to the Yale hockey players for the ride. Thanks to Keith Lane for being on this. Thanks to the Yale faithful on Facebook for listening. That'll do it. 